really great supporter of the show on Twitter. I'm very uh, appreciative of at Puro Pizza Power, who has been advocating on our behalf uh, the last couple of weeks, sort of promoting our show on Twitter and telling people about it and talking about us and giving us, you know, I had to check and make sure it wasn't a burner because it was such a nice compliment and talking about how how uh, the, the market and the niche that we serve. So shout out to Puro Pizza Power uh, with a great question in terms of off the back of what we've talked about, uh, just to sort of intro into the G1 discussion. Uh, the question is, do you guys want the four block, block format to stick around or would you rather see New Japan Pro Wrestling revert to two blocks next year? I thought the four block format was a success. I feel it added more drama in the later stages as it allowed for more wrestlers to shine and build up points. So what do we think of the four block format? I'm fired up. I am. I'm fired up because wrestling is one of those things that I'm very passionate about. I'm passionate about a lot of things and wrestling is one of the absolute things. And the G1 particularly is one of those things that I am the most fired up about. And I've been watching the G1 for year. <laughs> and, and one of those things where to me, this particular year, um, based on other years, was hard to watch. Um, the matches, no, not the match quality, the matches are great. But for me, being a guy who wanted to come back into New Japan and everything, the format I was not accommodated to. Now, this is a personal opinion and no one should really read too much into this. All but, opinions are personal, right? But, but what I'm saying though, is it's like, I like the A block and B block format because yep. I got to see everyone wrestle each other. I got to see, in my opinion, the greatest storyline drawn out between Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Kata. And I got to see that third match or the second match they had where it was a time draw where it had to be won. Now, in my opinion, that was the greatest storyline ever in the history of G1 because they had to win that. Kenny had to win that match, particularly in that small time frame when they had gone on and had 60-minute matches back and forth. Mm -hmm. Whereas this year, they had four blocks and it got so convoluted and there were guys all in there that did not wrestle. They didn't wrestle at all. They were, you know... I would have loved to have seen Cobb and a few other guys wrestle, Jonah and wrestle. You know, either way, it doesn't matter. I wanted to see the two blocks. That's what I wanted. But I got four blocks. And it was so confusing towards the end of it. Great. Storylines, yes. But what ultimately happened for me as a viewer, someone who's a huge fan of the G1, the greatest tournament in the entire world, rivals the king of the ring, the thing for me is that it just did not hit, it didn't hit the mark for me. I loved every part of the G1. Do not get me wrong. Do not get me wrong. But I love the G1. You didn't like that part. Except, except this part. This part. Except this part. <laughs> this one part. Just the structure I, of the thing. No, go back to the two blocks because yeah. I, I love that so much. There was so much fun. Like the grueling aspect of guys wrestling all the time. That built the drama. That built the drama for me. Like I knew that guy wrestled a couple of days ago, not seven days ago. Yeah. And like we had guys who hadn't even wrestled for like an entire week. I got a question, Red. Is that a question of the block format or the scheduling? 
Well, I don't know, man. I don't know how to answer that because because I think it's, it's the like, scheduling. Well, you said the scheduling like that. Okay, there's the answer right there. It's the scheduling. I I wasn't a fan of it because I came back to the G1 going, this is exactly what I wanted to watch. Yeah, I wanted to watch two blocks, like I'm used to, like I grew up watching when I was four <laughs> and five when I first got in the G1. Yeah, I don't want to see the four blocks come back. I'll say that. Well, I think you're in the majority. Most people have most people have said that. I'm I'm a little I was thinking about this because I I didn't like the format and I started to think about it a little bit more. And I started to think about like I really I really like those last couple of nights of Budokan. I was like that the idea of a semi-final, an actual semi-final and like the idea of a like a block final, semi-final final I think has big potential. And I think that there were, I think there's function of being able to have guys in other blocks that get shine that they would not normally get. Like uh, mm. if you're if you're a David Finley in a two block system, you maybe get one signature victory. In a four block system, you get a you get a two week run. Like that's really cool. I'm with you on that. Yeah, we got, but we also got, you know, each like we got Jonas running a block, and we got like you got guys that were featured in other spaces. I do not think that it's it's not without its criticism. I was a heavy, I was down on the format the entire time. What I think is there's two ways to go. You either go back to two blocks and you go back to 20, 24 at the max participants. So, or ideally 20, which is the classic top best 20 guys, but then you have to have a couple of, you know, job guys in there to take some falls. Or you add one more person to each block. And if you did that, if you added one guy to each block, I saw on our Twitter that was, I think Steve and uh, Edgar were putting in sort of similar suggestions and I'm, I'm with them. If you add one person to each block and make that, make it eight in each block, then what you then get is the opportunity to do block nights. And I think that changes the scheduling and improves everything because now you're back to a regular schedule where you can do, a and B and then B and then C and D. A and B, then C and D. You can get the best of both worlds because you can have the same patterns. It's basically like two G1s happening simultaneously. And so you you I think that fixes a lot of the concerns around the, the long scheduling. Because what we had here were like each night had A, B, C, D, and they were like all over the shop. And it just the scheduling was the biggest issue for me. That was the flaw of this G1 was the scheduling. It felt more like a New Japan Cup than it did a G1, where it was just an elongated gaps because of the way the schedule felt. And I just have to believe that it was last minute. Something went wrong and they had to reschedule because it just was too all over the shop. But that last couple of nights, the way it, it built and the capacity to have semifinals, I think it that has to me that has the most potential to be able to really draw in the future where you can have you can do a monster story you could do a jay running the table story and then losing on that last night you can do that but you can't do that in a nine match situation you have to do things differently so they're telling different stories i think mm. i can see the benefit i like a g1 that's the elite the true elite of the best pro wrestlers in the world i think that's always a, that's a like if i had my like by my choice that's what i would choose 
but I don't think New Japan's putting the genie back in the bottle. So I feel like four blocks is here to stay, whether we like it or not. I just think you can improve it by going to, to eight. I'm just saying that if this was the first year where it's like a tester, whatever, crowds can't cheer, imagine what it's going to be like next year. And imagine who's going to be involved. If they're going to do four and have like all these wrestlers, imagine who could be involved. If they have enough space, that would be it. But if they go back to 20, then the politics of that would be very difficult to put four mm. outsiders in, for instance. Well, I mean, Moxley. Yeah. But if you have if you have 32, you can do that. If you have 20, you're going to have a lot of pissed off guys that are working all year that aren't going to get that G1 payday. I uh, agree with both of you. <laughs> uh i uh i yeah agree with you red i got lost in this g1 and i think it is a result of uh four blocks the scheduling in particular probably the couple less guys than maybe would have been ideal uh i do like the semi-final concept uh i think that adds a cool element on the last few nights like it makes the last week really important and it makes i don't know i think it just added to the excitement around who was getting to the final and it added to the speculation of like who against who and the different matchups and all that sort of thing rather than towards the end knowing that the two guys are going to be yeah. in the final there's like four four possibilities i like that idea um i definitely think that it was hurt by uh big big gaps between um, between guys' matches, uh, and I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I like, I like the excitement of the two blocks when it's and it's when it's twenty of the elite, but it's never twenty of the elite. <laughs> never. There's always a few hangers on. Yeah. Um. So, I'm all for another experiment with the four blocks. Add a couple of extra guys, maybe guys coming from back from excursion, and maybe. Uh, well, like a couple of guys from AEW added and we drop a few of the Udro types <laughs> and the Fale types, yeah, the Fale types that we had this year. And we get to keep, we get to see a couple of the guys that we got to see for the first time again. I think yeah. that would be really cool too. So yeah, I, I agree, like I said, with both. And um, yeah, I want to see the four block format again. I just want to see what they can do with, you know, those, those improvements and and where it goes from there. Okay, if if they're doing the four blocks again, mm. then yeah. honestly, open it up, make every single wrestler available part of it. I would think, uh, just so you know, Red, that was the intention this year. Like, I don't know how much of this has been out in in the in the wild, but AEW were going to send guys, but with the injuries that happened, it forced them to not be able to release a couple of guys, and that forced a reshuffle. Imagine this next year we see Brian, Adam Cole, Moxley. I'd like to see Shooter. I think that would be really good. And fuck, dude, I'd be, man, New Japan, do everything you can to steal to cash that. <laughs> yeah, just, just get that dude. Get He's him. awesome. I mean, there's yeah. no reason you can't get him across from DDT as a, like a guy. Now I'm just like trapped in the thought of like who would like to see AEW in the G1. Well, here's the thing I'd say, and it's something that I think, uh, you know, it's a broader discussion, but you look at Lance Archer's 
booking and how he's positioned and like how at the end of his run he's like thank you japan love you japan like the man yeah, looked like my, this is my home this is my yeah. home you look at how like whether this is a good or a bad thing for his push or his run or whatever he looked genuinely happy and from his overall like people like oh people go to aw because you don't have to work as much and it's you know you're living at home and that's you know really good and i get all of that but wrestlers like to wrestle and mm. to get on a tour and to be featured the way he was and to get this opportunity, he looks so appreciative and he looks like it was really good for recharging him. And I kind of think for people out there that have been watching, you know, AW and such, what did Hangman do the last five weeks? Yeah. Mm. And it's like put shout on by CM Punk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Would have been a much better excuse had he been in Japan uh, to not have to run out. But he, other than one backstage segment that he recorded, there was no, there was at no point did he, he, he was kept back, obviously held back to, you know, for the, for the company, but it's like, what could have hangman bet? How much easier a story would it have been to tell that hangman has lost the belt. He's gone on a sojourn to rediscover his form and he's gone off. So he went to the G1. Yeah, that would be a great story. And yeah. how Mortal Kombat. And you put him in the same spot you have Lance Archer, and he loses to uh, Okada on the final night at Budokan. Yeah, and that's like no shame in losing to the eventual 100%. G1 champion, who's yeah. at a, at a level that very few will reach. And it's like, and he got and he pushed him. And he can go, I was that close to getting him. Like, and exactly the same, exactly the same booking as Lance. Exactly, you can have you can have him lose yeah. by counting. And you could have even done a story where he's like, I want Okada. At AEW at this arena, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, he beat me because he is on his home turf. I want to face him on my home turf. Yeah, I understand why they did it, and I and I get people like, oh, well, they're not going to be seen. It's like, but think like, because they're like, oh, they're on TV, they get millions of people watching, and blah, blah blah. But just think of what it does from a narrative sense, from your perspective, but also from Hangman's perspective. Like he gets to go away and work for five weeks yeah. consistently get himself back to where he was. It, it's the same thing as like the, the Blackpool Comic Club. It's like, you know, the top guys and everything. Like how cool would that have been for Hangman's character to go off to New Japan once again, yeah. where he was yeah. made. Yeah. He's and, already he's not he's already been in the G one before. Returning back. Yeah, he went back to the G one, competed and like kicked ass, did cowboy shit. Man. Would have been great. And yeah. would have, you know, if you're trying to be, if you're AEW and want to, like, here's the thing, like, if do you have any interest in trying to expand your Japanese audience, because you put Hangman over there, at least, like, if you're a new, if you're a New Japan fan, like, oh, Lance Archer's run, he was great in AEW, uh, in New Japan. I can't wait to see him in AEW. It's like, well, it's, good luck, good luck with that. Like, I turn on TV, maybe he'll be on here. Like, I just think that there's a there's a benefit to the G1 outside of just exposure or whatever, but there's to can help tell your stories whilst also developing further developing your wrestlers because it's like <clears throat> unless he's hurt he's had a very quiet time i just looked in in hindsight looking at that on the whole tournament i was like it's a shame they couldn't have done 32 this year but i understand mm. i think they were going to and i understand that there was some you know issues and injuries so it is what it is but you live and you learn hopefully they've learned from some of the areas this year because we can't have 10 days without Tai Chi singles matches. I think that's just depriving the fandom of what they came for. Um, so, yeah, I do think we can, we can find improvements. 
And now, Subway, delivered by Uber, presents The Stiff One. Ladies and gentlemen, you have watched every single match of the G1 of 2022. You have stuck with us. You have listened to every single podcast. And this is the culmination of it all. The stiffies. And what are the stiffies? We give out stupid awards for no apparent reason. I (laughs) will give out stuff and I'll say things. Josh will do things. Dave will do things. All of us will say things and you will listen. Whether in your bathtub, on the way to work, driving back from work, at the gym, whatever. We don't care. Wash your hair. <laughs> and if you don't like wrestling, once again, thank you. Good morning, sweet world. My name is the Red Williams. I am the electric, eclectic dominator. Bominator. Where am I going? I get those bubbles going. I am joined over yonder by Dr. Dave Pruden himself, the Tucker Moore Pimp. Hello. And over yonder, the man making all the magic, sweet, sweet magic. The guy who paid for tickets for me to go and see Mick Foley twice. What? Yeah, I saw him <laughs> on stage, then I met him. Okay. He is the king of his own dog style, the guy who argues with Dave Meltzer, the guy who never disagrees to a seltzer. He is <laughs> Julius Josh Crichton. Thank you. So just when you thought we were done, it's time for fun. It's time for us to start with the stiffies number one. I don't know, it's most valuable stiffy. <laughs> Most valuable stiff boy. <laughs> it's the most valuable stiffy people. Yeah. It, to be fair, I would argue, Dave, you're right. It is the most valuable. I think it's the, the pinnacle <laughs> award. It's the Ichiban number one award. Yeah. The stiffies are basically us going through the entire G1 and we reflect and we talk about what actually happened our favorite promos, best boy. Obviously, obviously, uh, you know, everybody does their, you know, end of G1 wrap-ups and such. But we have such a different format with the stiff one that we each have our own team. So we can sort of go through. The plan of this is to go through and talk about who we give out the award to on our team. I've been fired up since 8 o'clock this morning. I a thing on WhatsApp and I replied straight away. I could not. You saw the fire in my text messages. Okay. Best boys. He is... And forever will be Ichiban Sweet Boy. He's a sweet, sweet, sweet boy. So who's your team's MVP, a.k.a. who was your best boy for this G1? In, it'd be so hard not to say David Finley. David Finley literally had an entire episode. We did an entire show on him. Uh, <laughs> Our least rated episode. <laughs> well, it was fun though. It was a good chat. David Finley literally went from being a guy that I was watching for years as a tag, and he really shone. Like if I didn't say David Finley was my best boy of this entire G one, 
I'd be doing a gigantic discredit to, you know, David Finley for one, but I mean, he really did. He had an absolute stretch where no one thought he was going to win one match. Then he won the second match, then the third match. And he kept going. And that's the thing, like every single one of David Finley's matches set him up for, you know, something future. So that's what I sort of got is that David Finley really was my best boy. I wanted a Carter. Sorry, I wanted a Khan to be my number one best boy, but Finley really was my best boy of the entire G1. Pretty much an unprecedented three-match streak, really, through the whole G1. Yeah, the only three he won. Um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? They were just so condensed and so focused that it became like they sort of calcified in people's minds of like that was this really significant run. And if you look at it, his losses were kind of protected. You know, the, the first loss against Udro was, you know, a fuck finish. And then the other two were sort of flash pin roll-ups. So he was very protected. Now, obviously, he's got the program with Will Ospreay for the, for the US belt. So he's definitely, uh, on his end, has come out a lot better than what he was going in. Um, and I think to some extent, best boy MVP sort of thing. I think sometimes when you're looking for that, it's like, well, what are they, you know, what are they bringing to the table? And it's like, well... You got, you got the the double benefit of his matches were always pretty good, and you had that just come from nowhere kind of story of like, mm. I don't think anybody necessarily saw that coming. Like, I yeah. I think he was the most shocking of the in terms of surprise performances out of the G one in terms of everyone knew they had talent. Like, you were sort of lucky because you know you had Yoshihashi as well, who was sort of in that camp, um, who had that like. Where has this form been? But we all sort of knew that he had, you know, big match Yoshi is always there. We just never seen it for a consistent run. Um, yeah. And ultimately, there's no sort of the, the great thing about big match Yoshi is it's sort of like it's kind of like a it's an eclipse or like a like a comet. It sort of it sort of <laughs> it comes, comes by. Twice a year or something, you see it a little it? bit, and you don't. But you know, it's not leading anywhere. Um, whereas with this Finley one, I guess the benefit of it is you also get that he's something you can follow beyond the actual tournament, you know? So, um, yeah, I think for a lot of people, Finley definitely opened some eyes, this, this G1 and, and he was given big spots and every time he was given an opportunity, I think he, he was more than, more than adequate. He was really rose to the occasion. Yeah. I think just going forward for Finley, that it's, it's a great positive. Like I think he's going to have a much better future in new Japan. I think so. Yeah, I think obviously, and I think to some extent, New Japan, this run kind of, you know, it kind of demonstrates where they think he fits to in their sort of ecosystem, you know, beating Shingo, beating yeah. Will, like they're, they're solid indications that they have some commitment. Like when you see where Will got to, yeah, you know, Finley beat him. So it's clear that there's, there's that elevates him just by being in that sort of class of, of character. Um, as we've said in the past, it's up to Finley now to, to sort of capitalize on this opportunity. But yeah, man, I think you were looking back. It's like, man, what a, what a pickup he was at the stage. You got him for the sort of reward that he got when it comes to return on investment. I think he had the highest kind of uh, low draft pick, big upside. He became an immediate role player in his first year, you know, that kind of draft. I mean, I'll put it this way. Finley very quickly made himself must-watch. I don't think it was must-watch after that first what, that first loss. I think there was concern after that first loss. It was like, oh, that Udro match was not great. I don't know if I necessarily agree with you about the Udro match. I kind of, yeah, I saw 
different stuff. Uh, like saw potential in that match. I thought the wrong guy won. Yes, which is which is my concern about Finley was like I I I saw when he wrestled Hangman, I thought he was different, but yeah, it was like oh no, his first match yeah. is like oh no, he's losing to Utro. Oh, what's this gonna? Yeah, this I, I just thought it was like there was enough within the match that he did that I was like oh he'll be a fun follow. Which then he Whether immediately, he and then he had the juice match, yeah. and then it was like, yeah, okay, yeah, the yeah. juice match confirmed it. Yeah, well, I, I, I didn't have that level of foresight. I was basically like, yep, yeah, oh no, because uh, again, it's like sometimes or New Japan is pretty conservative in their booking approaches, and they very like, like you don't want to get hope for for new characters or returning guys. It's very like it took Finley eight years or something to get this opportunity, and it's like they very rarely. Uh, I thought they would have, you know could potentially Hanare him, you know, like that's always yeah. possible. And they, they didn't do that for his first thing. So they clearly have a, a view for him that the booking is going to match what I feel is the development of the character and the wrestler. So that's a good sign. Whereas sometimes I think you see guys develop and improve, but their, their booking will never match that. I love Yoshihashi, you know, like he's always going to be mm-hmm. in the same spot, no matter what he does, really. Well, I think we all know this, you know, um, once that Juice Robinson match hit, I was like, that's you know, I was instantly on the on the short list as soon as that happened. I was like, Yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be something I'll be remembering at the end of this year. Great best boy. Yeah, really good best boy. Well, you know, it was an absolute fluke because I picked him pretty late and other way. Very happy. My best boy, not I mean uh I don't know, maybe it's obvious. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, uh just Kenta. I love it. For just uh. everything all round, Kenta love is high level. <laughs> um, the fun matches, the, the hilarity in everything that he does, whether it's kneeing Goto's head to the back row or um I don't know, <laughs> the numerous book promos. <laughs> um never ending book tour. Yeah, I don't know. Just everything about that dude. I mean, he was my kind of pick when we when we sort of I asked the question at the beginning at the end of the draft about who was your like your favorite kind of get. Uh, he was mine, so he delivered in everything that I hoped for. I mean, I wasn't expecting uh, many wins, um, and he sort of said as much after his win over Tana as well. Um, but there were. There were aspects of Kenta of old when it comes down to sort of the some of the things he was doing in his matches and then the wrinkles of new Kenta being the the personality and um just the outright madness that is Kenta. Yeah, he's uh he it's it's almost like Dave, the last six minutes of his matches are like when it he decides it's time for Kenta of old to come out for a little bit. The just the last six minutes. It's like I'll build up, I'll do a bit of fuck around, and then there's like a little bit of escalation. Someone slaps someone, and now we're off to the races. The the knee he gave Tanahashi before he finished him oh, off was fuck. brutal. <laughs> it was just but they I think I think he as a character has figured out the perfect balance because he lulls you into this false sense of like safety because he's just this like funny character, and then he just instantly turns on a dime and brings some ultra violent strike and it comes from left field but then you remember oh it's that's right that's fucking kenta it's just mm. i think he's a he's a delight i i don't know i know people there's a lot of people that 
that struggle with Kenta because they want him to be the Kenta oh, of old. Yeah. But it's like, uh, man, I, if this is like, if this is how Kenta becomes like New Japan dad Kenta, if yeah. this is what he is, then I'm all for this uh, incarnation. I, I really love, I love the the humorous side of him. I think it adds, I think it adds to the violence by making it stand out more when he decides to do it, you know, because it's not just constant full throttle all the time. I mean, well, it, it's yeah. good for me to watch Kenta right now because I'm only used to him from NXT. That's where I got introduced to him first. And so seeing him in this format right now, it's like this most brutal guy right now who can just kick the absolute shit out of you. Big improvement over NXT. This guy is so violent and so crazy. It's one of the best characters of wrestling going right oh, he's now. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. even the growth from um before he joined Bullet Club, like that first G1, because that first G1 he was in where it was like the crowd didn't really know what Kenta was. We were all kind of like questioning what the character was and it wasn't really going down well. And his matches sort of seemed uh, like an odd fit. Well, it's interesting, Dave. I don't want to jump in, but I, I Charlton has been quick tweeting out quotes from Kenta's book. And the thing you're talking to, he actually mentioned it. He said that when he went, he, he basically shits on WWE, but he talks about how when he's in NXT, he, he sort of said, oh, the first couple of months I was sitting watching stuff. I wasn't actually training and he was really frustrated with it. But he said that in a match at NXT, he went for a springboard dropkick or something and he missed it. And he said from that moment on, he had the yips. And he said for his entire WWE run, he just had this thing gnawing in his head about he wasn't, something was wrong in the way he was off. And he said he carried that all the way through that first G1. He said he just felt off. And it wasn't until he had that switch and he sort of went full into this Kenta character mode that he's been able to to sort of fix he, what was concerning him. I think it's almost like he had these high expectations of who he is and what he how he performs. And it was yeah, like, right. I can't and be that guy can't anymore. Be that, yeah. So what am I going to be if I'm not that guy? And he's just completely reinvented himself. And I don't think he gets nearly enough credit for the a guy that is literally renowned as one of the most influential moves guy, completely turning himself into a caricature, like he's a character. Yeah, he's a now he's like yeah he's like this character and the promo guy. Yeah, and a, and a kick punch guy predominantly, you know, and then throws in some fucking crazy shit in amongst it every now and again, and. I I am so here for the evolution. Like I was like, ah, oh, maybe Kenta's time in the G1's over and he should be made as like a special attraction. But I'm more in the camp of Yano can leave and Kenta can take that spot. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he wants to, he said he wants to come back next year to do G1 next year. And he feels like that he feels like he's becoming his form in through this G1. He's becoming Kenta, like somewhat Kenta of old and he wants to be back next year. And by the way, have you read my book? Yeah, I know, right? Which is, <laughs> it's got Yano-isms. There's Yano elements to it where it's like, if you could be a comedy guy that could go and could have two or three nights, two or three matches of G1 that are elite, like top level, which he did have this year, but then you have a couple of evil matches and a couple of like, you know, just fun, ridiculous things for 10 minutes and then you have a little hot stretch. That to me... Like he gets like he's doing better comedy than Yano does. Yeah, like he does better. He gets like the he gets more crowd reaction than Yano does these days. Like no one gets the crowd to laugh more than than Kenta. Like 
So you've got that character. I'm like, just lean into that. You would have it. You have another ten years at New Japan yeah. doing that. You could just do that, and he can do a feud here and there if he wants to. A big feud, like the Tana thing's only going to continue. Yep, and it can be heated up in an instant. You know, yeah. but at the same time with Kenta, though, it's like if your guy's taking on Kenta, you have to be literally worried because he could legitimately kick you out, knock you out. Yeah, that's the go, isn't yeah. it? Like you don't have that fear with Yano. It's like you're gonna get rolled up. With Kenta, it's like I have to take it seriously. You have to take it seriously, and the, even if he may not be right now. Yeah, yeah. And you don't know where it's at. You don't know where he's at. And I think that's a cool. It's a it's a character where it's like at least you know it's like with a Yano match, you know it's night off. So when they get him, it's like oh, it's going to be everyone has an expectation. Oh, it's going to be like the two star match, whatever. With Kenta, you're never quite sure, but you know at least it's novel, it's fresh, it's different, it's entertaining. And he'll try stuff, and he'll always be trying stuff. He's a he's an insanely good promo, maybe the best in New Japan. And you just like he's inventive, and he does things completely differently to everybody else. I'm like, I just got to give like we always credit guys like oh, Jericho reinvents himself every five years, whatever. He keeps building himself. Up. I just think you don't get enough credit for a guy who literally had like a career. Like he was at a midlife crisis of a career. Like mm-hmm. my career is I'm watching myself deteriorate and I don't know what I'm going to become. And I've just gone to the, you know, quote unquote, you know, work rate promotion. I've gone from, I've gone to a place where I'm now swimming with sharks and I can't be the guy I used to be. I've just been introduced by Shibata. I've just been presented as Kenta. And his whole initial promo is like, I'm fucking Kenta. It's like, I want to proclaim myself at this thing. And then quickly realizing, holy fuck, I'm Kenta, but that's Okada. You're like, how do I get to that level? And it's like, I got it. I know what I'll do. I'll lean into what New Japan is actually really good at in terms of I'll be this character and I'll trust my personality and my charisma to get me over. As a bad guy, like everyone loves he, that promo he cut after Tana. He's the crowd fucking loves him. They're just like, yeah. And he's like laughing along. He's saying like, don't do that. He's like admonishing them for like, he's just, he's the most sarcastic pro wrestler that exists at the moment. He's just taking the piss all the time, grabbing sticks, kicking blokes in the head, selling books. I want Kenta's life. <laughs> I, yeah. want, I just want what he has. His entire left-hand side of his body is, I think just at this point, it's a write-off. Like Ken- yeah. Kenny Omega's come back trying to do the storyline for the thing. Like that's Kenta's real life. Like the compression <laughs> gear is Kenta's <laughs> life. Uh, but yeah, what a boy. And it proves Dave's MVP and best boy is not necessarily about it's who carries the tournament for you. Like who keeps you engaged, keeps you interested, keeps you like looking forward to what he's going to do. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. What a boy. Yeah. Best boy. He's the best boy. I was listening back to our episodes. I'll go to my my best boy. I was listening back to our episodes. I was like, every week I sort of have a different boy that I've like was going through. And I was sort of, I think this, this G1 is going to be characterized by something that I don't think I would have ever come to a point of accepting or realizing. But I think I have come to the point now that I very much appreciate Will Ospreay. And I, I'm i surprised of a... I'm not saying I'm ever going to buy Will Ospreay merch. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I'm a card-carrying member of the uh, the Osprey fan club. Oh, 
Well, I'm I'm there for Great Khan. <laughs> the <laughs> the no, one true will. leader. Yeah. Um, How can he not be? Will Ospreay is the best wrestler in the entire world right now. The issue about it is like coming to accept Will Ospreay as this, like the type of wrestler that he is and the type of thing that he he likes to be and what he's trying to achieve. It's never been something that had very much interest me. I'm like, okay, cool. Like you want to be the best wrestler in the world. It's not the most compelling story for me. It's, just, it's like, I want to be the best in a subjective medium is a, it's a, a dead set fruitless endeavor. You're never going to be the best in a situation where there is no objective ranking system. Like you can't be the best. You can only be perceived as the best by as many people as possible, but mm. Ultimately, I think so. You need to find something else. You need to find something else that can motivate you other than I want to be the best in the world. Okay. And this tournament, I think, has proven to me where Will Ospreay fits in New Japan. I figured out, I think I figured out where he fits. And as a consequence, I think I figured out the function and the importance that he, that role that he plays, and also how good he is at that particular role. And I'm going to go a little tangent, but it, I think it makes sense and it ties into where I'm sort of leaning. Is we were talking about last week, and I didn't quite clarify. I was listening back, and I'm like, nah, I'm not sure I really got that right. It was sort of a reaction thing off the back of that match, and I was like, ah, I'm not sure if I captured exactly where I feel about Will Ospreay. Because I, again, I, as I, as I said, like I was never a Kenny Omega guy, and I it's just not the style that attracts me in terms of pro wrestling. Like, I definitely was. I love Kenny. Yeah. And a lot of people are, that's the thing. Like that's fine. Um, but I'm saying I, I and I didn't really ever, um, cause I, I always thought that Kenny's story was always tied to him being like proving himself as the best. Um, and I think that the movement I'm seeing now is like, I don't think Will Ospreay wants to be the best. I think I just think he wants to be better than Okada. And the byproduct of that is that Okada is like the best. That subtle shift has sort of changed a lot of my thinking. And I was sort of like, like thinking about this whole thing. We talked about last week and the weeks before we talked about like the top four guys, you know, like the pillars, that idea. We talked about these guys got to get ready to, to move up and all that sort of stuff. And I kind of came to realization post that semifinal. I was like, I think it's already, like, I think it's already happened. Mm. And I think there's been a shift. And we, because Okada hasn't moved, because Okada's still one of the boys, we haven't kind of realized what is actually taking place. Where it's like, you sort of, these last couple of years and where it's gone, Okada is firmly in Tanahashi's spot as yeah. the bona fide ace of the company. Yeah. So if he's in Tanahashi's spot, then he needs the young challenger that is nipping at his heels to be that that person. He needs that Okada to Tanahashi. And I was so reminded of when you saw Will Ospreay get carried out, he's crying. It's like it's Wrestle Kingdom 9. Like it's the yeah. situation of the heartbreak of losing that spot, of not being able to conquer this guy. What do I have to do to beat this guy? Not because... I like it, it ceases to be about wanting to be the face of the company or wanting to be the best in the world. It's just, it just comes down to a simple competition. I just have to be better than him. I'm like, okay. So Okada's Tana, Osprey's Okada. That's going to upset the entire internet. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people that that is sacrilegious to say, but that's the framing. 
I'm like, okay. I was like, ah, so Jay's Naito. Yeah. And the movement is Jay becomes the like lovable, ingovernable one, the lovable bad guy that switches to take that role. So he's big in Osaka. The story of him is the guy from Osaka, the one who wants to proclaim. That's the movement that's happening there. And Naito is Naito. I'm sorry, Naito fans. Naito is cycling down. Yeah, we know. We know. It's happening. We already know Tana's gone down, but Naito is cycling down. Not he's not there yet, but he's cycling down. So I was like, there's the three boys. There's the th- who's the fourth pillar? And that's the fun part, is like, who's that guy gonna be? Because if Jay's moved over, someone has to take the the heel J role. Like someone has to take the bad guy role. And that is open. Hmm. And that's exciting because it's like someone's gonna have to fill that void. And I know, you know, I don't know who they think that person is, but that person has to, they're obviously on the roster and they have to be given an opportunity to, to take that spot. I'd imagine it like it it's probably going to be evil, but like they're, they're looking for somebody to get to elevated to that spot. But I've seen it happen. I'm like, well, okay, cool. That movement's happening, but it's going to rely on these guys to be good in those roles. And if you want to be Okada, like if you want to be Okada, you have to do Okada things. And that means consistently being the best and being the workhorse that is carrying the high level top end matches that you can be guaranteed that when you are there, there is no night off. And that's the thing. Like Kenny had funny frilly pants, Omega yeah. nights. Naito yeah. has t-shirt Naito. Okada never had, never got a night off. When Okada has been pushed as a guy, when he doesn't have balloons, he never gets a night off. He hasn't got that. He, there's no, there's, he just doesn't have that thing. The same way that Tana doesn't get nights off. When you were at that spot, you have to be the guy. And when you look at all of them, there's only one man on the current roster now, whether you like him or dislike him, whatever you think about him, has never takes a night off. He never doesn't work his, to his hardest, to his best. He's always working to put on a show. And that's Will Ospreay. Like, that's what he does. Yeah. He's, he's worked more main events, more singles matches. He does, he's worked in more countries for more promotions. He's done more work than anybody else to people to build this idea of himself to build, to grow himself, but to build a mystique around himself as the number one in ring wrestler. And that position, as I said, was solidified through this, through this tournament. And not only that, I mean, the last two matches are, you know, you talk about, you would go a long way before seeing two guys, like two matches back to back on back to back nights that are better than that. And, and then he would go, he's in, he's wrestling in Rev Pro five days later, doing back to back nights again, and be in AW in three days after that. Like, that is a ridiculous schedule. I don't, it's like dynamite kid levels of mate, that, watch yourself. That's, that's that'll be the issue. I mean, Kenny worked a lot back in the day too, and it, it caught up with him eventually. It does, it will, it will catch up to him. And that's the part yeah. I, I, like I'm saying, I've come to an appreciation of him as a, as a worker to recognize that whether people like him or don't like him, whether his past is something people can't get over or not, he, there's no doubt that he is, his intent is to put on the best pro wrestling show he can possibly do. That's his intent. That's all he's trying to do is trying to entertain the fans. That is what mm. he is trying to do. And his style is conducive to that. 
And I think during this tournament, he figured out, he really, it really clicked with him about how he can tell his stories. And it's a switch for him because the reason I used to sort of dislike Osprey is he, it's the classic show don't tell. Osprey was all tell. Mm. He would just signal everything so overtly by saying exactly what it is. He was like the Owen, he did the Owen Hart promos where he had like, I got three things I want to get across. I'm just going to say them over and over and over again. And you will remember them. Why did you tag me in, Brett? Why didn't you tag me in? You just had to tag me. You could have just tagged me, Brett. Why didn't you tag me in? It's like, yes, we get it, Owen. That was the point. It's like, that was how, that was, that was literally Osprey thing. We did it before the match. So you knew where he was headed. This was as, as subtle a long-term build as Osprey is going to get. And I think it was good enough to convince the people that like narrative and story to come over to the to the dark side with Will because it was like that story of the match against Juice where he gets pole driven and it's all about the neck. So it's like establishes early. The neck's an issue. So the next night when he goes against Naito, against, because Naito's whole offense is based around neck, that's all he's dealing with is his neck. And that's the story. He's selling the neck. And a lot of the criticisms of, of Osprey from years past were his inability to sell or his style of sell that like exaggerated sell that was, he proved that that's, that's a thing in the past. Right. So that's gone. He was really good at subtly doing it. The, the nerve work he was doing, like it's him and Tomohiro Ishii doing nerve work. Like he lost, he, he went, he, he feigned sciatic pain. Like that's a very nuanced sell. Like his leg was giving out. Like, so he's moved in that direction. So that's, that's a positive. That's in-ring stuff. All good. But it was his ability to carry story throughout a tournament, and importantly, crescendoing at the end was like he is—he is really, he's—I'm—I'm I'm willing to accept him as getting to that. He's now a top, top guy. He's gotten to that top level because he did something that Kenny Omega gets all the credit for. Like Kenny Omega gets all this credit for like he comes back and he's selling an injury and he's going to improve. That's Kenny does that, and everyone's like. My God, the subtlety, the sports-based presentation. And Osprey does it, and people view it as performance. Now, obviously, it's framed by that thing, but the fact that he's actually being able to do it now is a really good indication that he's actually gotten to that point of caring That's enough about really it. Good point. That's a really good point, dude. So he's shifting. So he goes from he goes from that point to the, the promo at the end where he talks about all the guys that have beaten Okada, and I'm better than all of them. And then, obviously, the next night, taking all of their moves to try to beat Okada. That is as subtle as it gets for Osprey, but it's so much better than in years past. He would have literally telegraphed it. He would have been like, tomorrow night, I'm going to do yeah. all, like he would have said it, like, and he would have shouted mm. it. And it's like, ah, oh, Will, we get it. Because he didn't, I don't think he ever had enough trust that people would get his stories, even though they're not exactly like, they're borderline blues clues, but it's like, there was like, he didn't trust that people would pick up on it. Now he trusts it. And ironically, his stories have gotten far more complex. So it's like, it's a really interesting space of like, it's we've been able to see him grow before our very eyes. And it's like, oh no, he's he's like the best in-ring wrestler that's going now in terms of the overall, like what people look at in terms of, you know, work rate degree of difficulty, execution, flawless application, technical application, all that shit that Meltzer talks about. But at least through this tournament, I think I can finally say, I think fair fucks to him. He's figured out how to actually tell stories that people might find interesting. 
and that might actually be in the benefit not only of himself but of the promotion and of his place in the promotion and his capacity to bring people with him. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see as he goes. I think he's going to go on a losing run. I think that's where he's headed. Um, that sort of a Carter post loss mm. malaise. It's important to note too that he's not just telling stories with Hokata. He's telling different stories with different guys as well, like stuff with Shingo, stuff with ELP. Stuff with Finley. Other different guys, which sort of elevates him to that level as well. Like Kenny had a bit of a run there when he was like with stuff with Tomo and uh, and Jay and other guys too. So he's sort of, I feel like he's getting to that level rather than just being a will I spray match in isolation. It's like he's actually got things running with different guys and different things with different guys, like the Shingo being like the move on a move on a move on a move and that each match they add to it. And yep. Yeah, and then the juice stuff with the title. Like, there's different things going on there, which makes him a more compelling character for me to follow. The ELP story, which is like the heavyweight versus junior coming up, and the yeah. long history of ELP used to dominate Osprey, and now Osprey is dominating him, and ELP being frustrated by that, helping ELP get to that. Like, Lost in the Shuffle is that awesome ELP match. Like, if you took Osprey's G1, like, that's the thing I did this this week. I just, like, looked at what he his matches. Like they're just all good and they're all good for different reasons. They all have different areas. He's trying to like, he, he gave Udro an interesting match, like, because yeah. he can, he can make, he can make the movement. He can make the action. But as you said, the stories he's telling are like, he's becoming one of the suns through which the planets revolve. Like those are the, those are the guys. They're the ones that, that ultimately drive the company because everyone has a relationship to them as opposed mm. to them relying on others. And I think he has he still has his guy that he relies upon in Okada. And that's key. That's you need that story. You need that that um that thing to drive him to get better and to ultimately beat Okada either in a G one final or at a Wrestle Kingdom. Like that's obviously where that's where that's headed at some point. And solidify him. And that's the Tanahashi role that he played for a long period of time is everyone had a story with Tanahashi. Okada now has that. Yep. And that's he's got it with Jay. Like Okada, yeah. like every Okada's that guy. And everyone's like, yeah. oh, Okada wins. Uh, it's like Okada has to win because it's more compelling for everyone else. He is yeah. the guy through which everyone, he's the boat, he's the tide through which that rises raises all ships. He needs yeah. to be the one that is in focus so that he can connect the dots. Like he's the propellant. So when Jay goes against Okada, he can propel him. He's the, like, ironically, Okada's the catalyst. And he yeah. needs to be that role for these guys to get them to where they need to get to help propel the company so that they can take it forward. And it's just great to see that finally, like I said, Osprey finally got to that that spot where I feel like, oh, he's he's earned that position now where he's clearly a guy who is that who through which others can tell their stories people will obviously take it how they want to take it in terms of like if you don't like osprey because of his you know past indiscretions you're entitled to have that opinion i'm not going to tell you i'm not going to play the fucking moral police here but what i will say is i do think to some extent what he does in terms of as a pro wrestler and what his function is you can't ask for anything more at this point. I don't think he's he's given you everything he's got. And that to me is this G1 was he he carried it. Like he carried his end of the bargain. He did and he sort of snuck up on everyone. 
Like when he made it the final, you're like, oh, that's right. And then in one night, he made that final feel like it was the most important match in the planet. And like, Will's getting a realistic edge, which I like, and that's come from the heel turn for sure. Uh, what whether that character is still heel at the moment? Who knows? Maybe that maybe they don't ne- necessarily need him to do, be defined one way or the other. But like a Carter, play the role you need against the guy you're against. Yeah, and that's what New Japan does so well. And I think the G one is really important in that way, where guys kind of float back and forth on the line of heel face heel face and so they end up doing it much better than other places and guys can kind of really play both roles when they're when they're not defined as one or maybe they're seen as one but they can switch back and forth and the g1's a really good platform for that simple story like simple stories complex characters because if you have a not like any like a fight or a sporting contest depending on how the match goes, depending on how the fight goes, depending on how the game goes, the dynamics between who's the heel and who's the face depends on a bunch of swings. Well, I feel like, I mean, over the weekend, Leon Edwards proved that. He went from from a heel and getting booed in his own country to being probably the biggest hero in the UK, you right. know, doing it from the UK. So, and this, But the story of like that, it's, it's through the, the way they perceive your interaction in the match and what you're doing and how the yeah. context shifts that. That's just reality. That's just how real life works. I don't think anyone's wearing a black hat. Anyone's wearing a white hat. I think that it's all these shades of gray. This whole thing that Cody was talking about and AEW was kind of built on is like this idea of we're all in this sort of shade of gray. It's like, that's how new Japan is traditionally booked. Like, yes, Tanahashi is the ace until such time as he slaps you in the <laughs> fucking face. Yeah, like, which he's getting very, very, very good at. <laughs> yes. But I mean, I'm all, I'm, you know, I'm all for like, you know, low-key cunt Tana. Yeah. It's the best. He's, it's he's the, the best, best because it's just him. <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. He's allowed to be that guy. Like, he's yeah. allowed to be a lovable baby face, like... Narcissist. But he can... <laughs> and that's because he's a complex character. Nobody is yeah. any... No one is, any, is all one thing. And I think that that's the biggest thing to shift is what we've seen. That was what my big takeaway was like, that's your shift. It's like Osprey was trying to be one thing. And mm. it's like, you can't be, especially when that one thing isn't you, dude. So if you shift and be more like who you are, and yes, you're going to get flack because who you are is divisive. Yeah. But it allows you the freedom to not worry about trying to be anything and just try to tell the story the best way you can do it. And to see him shift to that, it's like, yes, okay. You're not going to be like this, like intricate storyteller but that's okay you don't have to try to be that just try to tell the story and help propel the narrative the best way that you can do it and i think the way he did it was was the way that i think a lot of wrestling fans will respond to because it's 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 open type of storytelling and it's clean and clear and simple and i think that is for a cross-cultural context that is a really good way to go so i see him as having insane upside because unlike kenny who did play big and 100% was open to these you know broader storytelling loved his nuance and subtlety i don't think osprey has any uh i don't think he cares for nuance so as a consequence i think his story is going to be more accessible and as a, i think that he has the biggest potential upside to engage a, a broader audience um as a result 
It's just going to be how he's positioned and how they push him. But I feel like after this, I'm more convinced now. It's like, oh, he's, I feel like, you know, like Kota Bushi's disappeared. Kota Bushi's yeah, yeah. disappeared. Like, if you want to push a face superstar flashy dude, then he's yeah. there. So I feel like that's the opportunity that he sort of he sort of has now. So and yeah, I think he low-key carried the tournament. From that we go to the bust, the draft bust. Is this some kind of bust? Well, it's very impressive, yes, but we need to ask you a few questions. AKA most disappointing. Now I'm not this category is not necessarily about who's shit. It's not going to be a bag of people. It's just when we're drafting people, like any draft, you might have overreached on someone. You might have missed out on someone because you drafted someone else and they didn't live up to the expectations you had for them, whatever those expectations were. And AK, as a result, they become a draft bust. So who are, who is your draft bust? I took Tomohiro Ishii. And... Tommy was probably the biggest boss, but I mean, I love Tommy, but I'm just going to say Tommy because, I mean, you know, I've had great Khan, all those kind of guys. I mean, I had Yujiro for fuck's sake, but you know, you know <laughs> I'm just saying the biggest boss for me was Tommy. Why is that, Red? What were, like, what did you think of his performance? Look, Ishii is always going to be one of my favorite guys. He always puts in a good performance. This year, however, it was kind of like, Ah, it was disappointing. Um, yeah, it's like we've all had that one pet that we love, and then we watch that pet get old. The stone pit bull is on his last leg. I literally just watched a guy that I've watched for years in the G1 be so dominant and be a legitimate threat to every single competitor he's taken on. And this year, I didn't feel it, I didn't feel it one bit. I didn't not I, like not not one part in an issue match. I was like, cool, he's going through the motions and blah blah blah. But he looked slower. He looked weaker, basically. And he was sort of booked that way too, wasn't he? He was pretty out, out yeah, pretty early. It, it actually just really hurt. I was a bit like that too, where the, the rumors were going around about Ishii, and I was I've been a bit down on him the last year in terms of his style of match, where it's like very patterned. And he's still a tremendous seller and he's still like, he's always going to put on a, a compelling story, I guess, in the, in the context, but it was like, what does it matter? Because he's really got no upwards momentum. Like he's not going to go anywhere. And he was like in a few with Jay for a bit. It's like, Oh, now that's sort of ended where he's not really the, the, the sort of the stone in, in uh, Jay's shoe anymore. So it's like, that's kind of what, what is the, what is his function? But I, I I think he's just shifted. He's gone into dad mode. Like he's just become yeah. a dad and it's just become, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. Cause what I, what I kind of realized is only one match, I think in the G1, I would kind of categorize as an Ishii match was the one against chase. Yeah. And every other match, I think his function was to help the other guy. Like he just didn't yeah. have, he had, he had a, the most diverse G1. I think I've seen Ishii have in a long, in a long while where he was like, wrestling like 11 minute matches and wrestling these like these just different style of matches where they were like they weren't as patterned it was very disappointing i mean because well, you have I, an expectation of what you want from the, the four and a half exactly, star ishii right exactly that's exactly what i was going for it's g1 it's ishii 
Um, I took him based off the fact that you know you were going, you were alluding to him. I was, uh, I was not I alluding to him at all. I would have taken Cobb, <laughs> but it wasn't, it, it wasn't what I was expecting. It wasn't fun. You feel like I felt like here's what I'll say. I felt like he had five TV matches, and I feel like Ishii is now a per, at a perfect age and a perfect role where his function can be as like the New Japan global ambassador and they send him off to AEW, and they send him off to RevPro, and he goes over where he's always more over than he is in any other domain. Like, he's more over in AEW. He's more over in America than he is in New Japan. He's sort of, because he's like the dirt sheets, he's like Meltzer's, you know, golden child, you know, like he's the guy. Mm. And so he has this, like, reputation, the same way that Suzuki has this reputation, that Suzuki went and did a four-month uh UK a US tour where he basically had the same match 47 times and everywhere he went everyone loved it because that's their expectation give us what we want to see it's like it's like say the thing Ishii say the thing I'm firm in the camp now Red next year should be his last one should be his last year one and it should be we should do the Nagata thing and he goes through like losing the entire time until the final night I just yeah. just have him have that one moment against like a generational guy like yeah, against like yeah. Okada or someone like that, where it's like he's he's lost everything, it's all done, and he finally gets to wrestle like, and he finally gets to beat someone like that. Yeah, and that's it. And it's like, see you later. I would love him to get his. I think he needs a swan song because I don't. I didn't feel like this yeah. was it. It's sad when when guys you love, you can tell that they're kind of winding down yeah. a bit. You know? It's just it's inevitable, man. It's it's the yeah. reality. It's sad, but it's like. Like at least, I mean, the benefit is you also drafted his replacement. So like you had Chingo in your team. So it's like, don't worry if he if he goes down, up yes, comes Mister Consistent. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so it's like, you know, that's the thing where it's like, and Chingo's going to fit that role perfectly. Never a threat to win, but somehow always a threat to win. Like, yeah. you know, like going to put on the best matches every night. Going to be like he literally is. It's like Shingo is now Ishi. Just accept that everyone. That's who the guy is. I will just end on this. Tomohiro issue is uh he was one of the very first guys that I saw next to Naito and a few others. He made me love New Japan. And I just want him to know if he could listen to the show right now. Tommy, <laughs> I love you. It sounds like an obituary. It is. Yeah. <laughs> well, Red just buried him. So. <laughs> yeah. I just love you in my heart, but I'll never ever draft you again. And you're now in Fale category. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. That's, that's a, a fate worse than death. Well, say hi to the other injury reserves next year. <laughs> you will not be getting drafted. <laughs> yeah. In, in memoriam. Tom Hiroishi. So my draft bust is purely on where I'm kind of going the opposite to what I would normally do. Oh, um, I'm going from a points perspective, uh, and oh points, oh. and a bust in that it's it it played out differently. Not to say that it didn't play out in a way that I've liked, mm. but it played out very differently. Um, because I picked Juice second. Yep, and he only got. A couple of points, two points, three points, four points, maybe. Yeah, four points, two wins. Yeah, so a lot of losses in there. So I just thought I would pick Juice as my draft bust because I went second with him. Not to say that I regret the pick because I loved watching Juice and man, he's my 
trying to figure out where all that is going. But from a uh, from a drafting, if you wanted to win the draft, yeah, not a great pick. From a drafting perspective, he was a bust. Yeah, and the funny thing about him, it's like he was he was happy of the pig in shit being a bust. Yeah, like, <laughs> he's like living it up as a bust. Like yeah, like a lot, lot of value in there, but yeah, not from yeah, just not not much in the way of, in the way of wins. If that was the uh, the idea of, of the draft, from a standpoint, like Juice literally uh, uh, added to his character during this G one. Like so oh, going massive. forward, yeah, yeah. next year, next. That's year. such an interesting thing, Red, because I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts and stuff talking about this, and I find it infinitely fascinating how different our take is on it because most people are like either a like who is juice pissed off in the office <laughs> like or like yeah. what's happening with why is he like why does he get this push and then he doesn't get a push it's like they're looking at it from traditional storytelling is like you lose matches in any context like uh, it's like hanare for instance like no one's looking at hanare and saying oh, he got the big win, he's got the big sort of character switch and now he's losing. You don't say, well, they're going to lead to something because it's not leading to anything. With enough. It's, I'm sorry, it's not. So there's an expectation that when you do that kind of story, like you do that kind of thing, you're either putting him on the back burner, I, a la Great O'Khan, same kind of rationale. He's only won the two matches, he's on the back burner. That makes sense. Like he's not a, he's not a push commodity. So when you do that, people's natural in- inclination is to see a situation where that's the case, where Juice has only won two matches, and their natural, their logical movement is, what's what's to go there? Because wins and losses in their thinking, and in most people's thinking, in terms of prepare, like especially in New Japan, like you need to be exactly. winning you matches. Are in the hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. So it decides who you are. So how the hell with a push? How does that make sense? And that's what I really like about the. Well, I was listening to them. I'm like, it's like everyone. So it's it's really interesting to be like. Dave's consistent discussion has been like, oh, I really like, I really like uh, Juice and what Juice is doing. I really like this thing. It's like, no one is having that discussion. There's literally, we're the only, <laughs> we're the only people on recorded audio that are literally out there going like, yeah, this Juice thing, this is there's something yeah. to this. And it's like the intentionality of the D push as part of the push is like, either we're going to come out sounding like, insane like literally like we have like (laughs) or insane genius this is it this is the this is the high wire act we are working here there is an island and we are on it and it is a population it's just us here in this room and the people that are crazy enough to come along with us but it's like if we're right but if we're right like this could be one of those really it's an all-timer of like this is all I, part of the plan you know like i just don't get how you can't see that what juice is doing right now is not good I'm not saying it's not good, but I'm saying that people's perception is, is like, where does he go? They can't see where he, and to be fair, like at the end of this G1, where is Juice Oh yeah, he's posing more questions coming out than he was going in. Isn't that wrestling? Isn't that why I watch it? Because like, there's more questions? To some extent. Yeah, I'm with you, Red. That's, yeah, that's what we're. That's what annoys me. That's literally what annoys me right now. It's like, why can't you just watch a guy develop a character and be excited about the fact that he's gone to a new level. Well, I think it comes down to lack of trust in potentially like the idea that is this going to lead anywhere? And that can be, and that can happen. Like if, if most like solid stories you can see, like the history of Naito, for instance, is 
will he get the push? And it's like, yes, he will. But it's like, it doesn't look like he will. It's like, trust us, he will. But people just don't want to be hurt. So it's like they want to invest in a character and then have that character not get to where they expect them to be. We don't mind being let down. It's like it's like a normal experience. Yeah, I was a WCW fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to being let down. I have high expectations and then crippling defeat. You know, that's that's part of this fandom. Is, this is what annoys me. And like you guys, you have your own world and you guys do your own thing. But <laughs> we live in our own world. You know, who cares? <laughs> it's a, I mean, we we clearly job. care. I don't know, but I'm just saying, who cares? Like he's doing a great job. He's going to a new level. And this character that he's doing right now is so interesting to watch. All of his matches are great to watch. Yeah. I don't and I yeah. and the thing is people aren't arguing that. That's the fascinating thing. They're not arguing that he's not having good matches. It's just like the inability to see his direction leads to people feeling that something's not happening. And I can understand yeah. like that's that's not uncommon. Like Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm gonna go into my thing again. But who cares what direction he's going into? Is what if he's? But if you're, if you're red, going in, is, going into the direction that he's going into. Yeah, but if you're a fan of a guy, for instance, red, and you're a fan of a, let's say you're a fan of a character on AWTV, right? Let's say you're a fan of Brian Cage. What direction he's going? Nowhere. Not on TV. That's what I'm saying. The fear is if you invest in a character, the fear is is that they ultimately won't get over. They ultimately won't get put on television. They ultimately won't get put on pay-per-views. They ultimately won't get propelled. If you invest in a character, your hope is that they will get a push and they will get over. And the only way that – and like Wrestle Kingdom's one night, so it's like you have to get TV time. You have to get opportunities. And to see a character that is ultimately – being positioned to lose and to be embarrassed and to be like ashamed. Like the dude's taking pinfalls to like, like in the six man's he's the pin leader in a six man on the final night. That traditionally is not a position for a yeah. top guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So as a consequence, if you are a juice fan, you're obviously you're getting a little concerned about his potential as being a guy that could be featured at wrestle kingdom because of that. And I understand those fears and they're playing, I believe that they're playing off of that to build the character. Yeah. But, same. but I'm also aware that they might not be. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't care about what happens or what's going to happen. I'm enjoying what I'm watching. But see, people engage differently in the product and people that engage in terms of characters like if that's their guy and a lot of people engage in their guy and if they've picked juice as their guy, then they're going to be concerned about this thing. So that's the discussion around. It's like, well, Dave picked him as his guy. And it's like, do you have faith that they are going to book him to be that point? Things are going to happen. It's just where it's not clear where, and I can understand the trepidation from a fan's perspective, a fan of juice being like, Oh shit. Like where to from here? Nothing's really clear. It's, but the interest in where to from here is more, I'm more concerned with what's happening now so that the where to from here becomes the clearer. possibilities open up, you know? And that's the yeah. thing. We just don't know. And that's the, yeah, yeah. the sitting in confusion. And I like that they've done that. I'm a big fan of that. But again, I understand where people are coming from. I just like that we're in a position where we're talking from an alternate position of that, like offering an alternate point of view in relation to that. Because all the yeah, discourse yeah. is like just going this yeah, way. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's the thing. That's like, it's is it's interesting to pick up and be like, 
that's interesting how people are reading it that way. And I can see how they're reading that way. But I feel like if you listen to us for the, the entire G1 and you listen to that, you'd be like, you be, you're getting two different readings on a character's progression, you know? Yeah. But he's cool. still a buffed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, he's a buff. Yeah, but he fucking he's busted. Buff. He busted purely, my purely, fucking team. Purely Juice. from a uh, I didn't win perspective. Yeah, so. that fucking Absolutely. liar. Conned us all. He, he, he was... It was a bigger bust this year than when I drafted him three years ago. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. exactly. And he had a so, much better yeah. tournament. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. Way better tournament. Go figure. None of this makes sense. These are, this, yeah, this character is like fascinating to me. Yeah, as there's yeah. meat on them bones. Yeah, um, it's just we have no idea where it's going to go, and that's by design. Yeah, and I and I love that side that he would be loving that as well. Oh, you know? wouldn't he? Yeah, wouldn't he be like people are like, oh, juice is done. Just like he would hate our podcast because it's like, holy fuck, I think they might be onto something. <laughs> Stop talking about it. Stop and, talking. I just want to point out right now that I actually I do care about people's opinions online. No, um, no, you I, guys are really cool with what you think about and stuff like I that. Just, I just I'm I'm all for listening for different opinions, understanding where they're coming from because people embrace and engage with pro wrestling in so many different ways. It's just trying to figure out. Like understanding where their position. It's, it's kind of interesting just knowing that you're seeing things a little bit differently to the majority. Yeah. Out there. And sometimes yeah. you're like, "Am I crazy? <laughs> am I like yeah. I'm sitting back there no, like, am well, I, I, I know I am. Yeah. So I'm not worried about that. <laughs> no, I just don't. Want, I just don't want people thinking that I'm a hater because like of like their opinions. No, they already know think... that, Red, because you just buried Tomohiro Ishii. They're like, "This guy, <laughs> fuck him, get him out." Okay. Well, I'll I'll, I'll be pretty quick on my draft bust. It's evil. Um. <laughs> yeah not, not even chase owens well i didn't have no expectation about chase owens doing anything um what, what actually did evil do i didn't watch a single evil match yeah well it's he it didn't do anything it's the interesting part about this is the evil push coincided with obviously a lot of the decline in interest and everything like that. But I think there was the clap crowds and all sorts of stuff. And I, and I, I don't want to go back to that era, but at least with that era of like insane over the top cheating and like ridiculousness was positioning him as like this ultra, ultra dick. And mm. they've softened that to try to make him more the mid card comedy heel act. And when you put it into a G1, it's like, He's just a nothing act. He's just literally, yeah. and there's not enough to hate, and there's yeah. not enough to like. So you just draw so apathy. You end up being too meh. He's just pure meh. He's mevel. Mevel. Oh, he's oh, done. He's done. He, his oh, main event push is done. He just can't be. But no, like. Talk about buried. He's done. Over. <laughs> no one will be No one will be drafting evil in any drafts next year. No. But it's. But the thing is, I, I feel. Here's the part that frustrates me about evil. Is. I think the. I think the plan is for him to be the big bad. I think the plan is for him to to work with like to do something with Bullet Club, and that was always the plan. And they have to figure out a way to rehab him, and they're in this really 
fucked position. Like they're just in this position where they've got no movement with him because they've moved, they've tamed the house of torture stuff down so much to obviously, you know, just to make it somewhat palatable. And they haven't, they haven't changed the basic formula. So he's a, he's essentially a never six man guy. And mm. the, the sort of the de evolution of that character in the talk in the time, like 18 months period or two years, it's, it's quite pronounced. It's like, he's gone from, you know, challenging main event double, like he's the former world champion. He's a former du- a double gold champ and just the decline. And everyone is sort of, it's, it's been for the better. That's a, that's a hard part about it. Feel that have been watching the last two years. Evil's kind of been a breath of fresh air in the sense that he's been able to get baby faces over. He did a world of good for Tama Tonga. Like he was mm. so important for Tama Tonga to get him over early playing that exaggerated heel shit in the second match, third match kind of position. But the moment you put him into a G1 and you're positioning that type of character on this stage, he can't be taken seriously or credibly as a challenger other than to fuck around with somebody. And it just, it doesn't have the same weight. And it's a real shame that he's gotten to that point where it's like, he just doesn't have any gravitas as a character and they're going to have to do something to fix him. I'd heard a report from um, voices of wrestling had put out a report about um, Carl Fredericks. uh, Funnily enough, about how Carl had fumbled the bag in terms of his what his story was going to be. Like he obviously wanted to be in the G1, but he was he wasn't going to be in the G1. But the story was that he was initially booked for Budokan to, to go up against House of Torture. And the story was going to be he was going to be positioned against evil and the L it was going to be LA Dojo versus House of Torture in a classic babyface young boys coming over versus the the bad evil uh you know House of Torture. It's gonna to be like Shibata's strong style good boys, wholesome boys versus the cheaters and try to give them their comeuppance. And it was going to go all the way to wrestle kingdom. So I think the program was going to be Carl Fredericks and evil at wrestle kingdom is like this oh, yeah, story. Yeah. Now that didn't happen obviously because Carl Fredericks is no longer with the company, but the idea that was planted suggests to me that we're going to get a movement away. I think, it, I think house of torture is going to shift. I think it's coming. I don't know where it's going to go. I have no clue. And I thought we'd see it in the G1, at least hints of it. And I saw nothing. I saw literally nothing. There was not a hint of evolution or change and it's okay. I don't mind house of torture in their spot. I would certainly like to have show back, but it is what it is. It's an interesting position for him to be in as like the leader of, uh, you know, mid card comedy, bad dude, heel faction or whatever. Because his style was kind of a bit more like a, a bit more of like a bruiser, bruiser sort of style. Yep. And ha- how do you be a bruiser as a comedy guy? It doesn't really doesn't really fit that style. So he even as the leader of that group seems like an odd odd fit there. So it's any wonder if and he does like he doesn't have like a flashy move set to make up for it in matches whereas you know like if you're a comedy guy but you can do some cool moves and that sort of thing you can kind of make up a gap in the interest side of things but if you're like a bruiser but you can't really wrestle that way because you're fucking around too much then it doesn't it doesn't there's no what what's where's the appeal there's like a, a gap there 
You have to stop doing that. Yeah, you have to stop doing that. So then you, what have you got? You, you got nothing. And it was interesting because when, when we were talking about it during the draft, I think it was, and it wasn't long before the G1 and they got locked in that cage and the, we thought that might have been like a bit of a turning point for them. Yeah, they got their comeuppance. I thought maybe this is it. Could have been, yeah. So it would be interesting to see where that goes. I mean... I mean, Kenta would be a better leader for that group in as that position, like as a as a as a heel comedy sort of thing. I agree, I agree. Yeah, hundred percent. Even ELP joining in as them as a tag. Yeah, which they are booked as a tag team now. So yeah, that's awesome. I'm all for that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's a funny spot. So you'd have to think at some point if they're going to bother to use evil. And if he's going to be positioned as the the heel heel guy, he, they can't be doing the 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 evil. Evil <laughs> can't be out. Evil's <laughs> not no. allowed to be around. Methil is not allowed because if he's if you turned him sinister, and you said, "All right, he's going to get to like he's got to get." He has the perfect look. He for does. It. That's the thing. Yeah. Like he's just built to be like, I'm just like I'm just like going to tear off all artifice, like get rid of all this shit. If he's the one to, to, to kick Jay out, for instance, if they don't, if they go that direction, they need to switch him up to get him to a point where he can, because once that feud starts, if he's not, if he's not at a level of the sinister stuff, yeah, he's got to be, he's going to get eaten alive and he's not going to be, it's not going to be compared. It's not going to help Jay. They need, if they're going to push that direction, I don't know wh- who is going to push the direction. I don't know which guy's pushing who out. I don't know what's happening, but I feel like the switch has to come at some point. And so it's, I just felt like I was going to see the seeds of that planted and I just didn't see any of it. So it just led to like a frustrating experience. Like he's fucking evil. You guys are going to absolutely hate this analogy, but I kind of sometimes see evil as like the cane to Naito's undertaker. And they really need to execute big time on that because evil really could be a gigantic star in the actual company. And that's why it's such a letdown for him because I've always believed in evil as being such a big potential guy. Like when he got had like the title run and everything, it wasn't really that amazing. I know that's he, an understatement. And even, and I mean, Kane was always his most compelling when he was like the sinister, the sinister versions of his character when he was a bit, funny or he was never there is so much there to the guy because the guy can work and he has such a great move set too but it they just it's like almost like a failure to execute it's like he's a level above like um i mean sonata's in a similar position really just yeah yeah that's true true. yeah (laughs) basically yeah yeah but see sonata would have done better in this role because no one would have cared (laughs) like they would have been like (laughs) Okay, Sonata's going off and fucking around. All right, it is what it is. But like evil as a New Japan boy and coming through their dojo system, like here's the thing, here's the lesson, people. If you come through New Japan's dojo system, they're going to want to make you work. They're going to commit to make you work more so than anyone else. They're going to say, we have to find a way to make this guy work. It's going to confirm what we already believe, that we are the best at grooming talent. So evil's going to get chances that Sonata's not going to get. It's almost yeah. like I really wish they would repackage it. I think they like, I'm saying that I, I, I'm not against not repackaging. Here's the thing. I'm not against 
evil staying in this role. I'm not against it because I saw the value it was in moving Tama to where he is. I get it. However, if the intent is to involve him in any way in a bullet club breakup thing, he cannot be at this level because it would, it will drag whoever he is paired with. And if it's Jay, it will drag him down to like third match on the card as opposed to Jay being able to elevate him to where he needs to be at main event level. So they need to do something. I didn't see it in this G1. So he's a bust. I think when he, when he won the title, I I thought, Oh, this could be really interesting. And then it just wasn't. No. Yeah. No, and I, I, I mean, it could. I was like, oh, that's that's an interesting. That's bold. Like, I mean, yeah. the, if if they had evil run through Naito, Okada, and everyone, I would have even been happy about that. I, I wouldn't have been had they if they'd done it the way they were booking his matches. I think, and no one would have been. See, no one. The the key for evil is no one has been too upset this last year because he hasn't been ruining main events, hmm. and that was the reason people were upset two years ago was his ruining main events with that style. Now he's ruining the second match on the card. He's ruining a never six man. No one really cares about that. So that it's sort of it's it's sort of like softened the criticism because it works in that space. Um, but it's, it's like not to say that he can't have good matches. Like he had some he had some cool matches back in the day, like uh, when he oh, beat Okada yeah. in the G one, and he was having some cool sort of Hoss style matches. Or the the famous moment with him and Yoshihashi somehow doing a vertical suplex where they both ended up outside the ring. Remember that one where they like <laughs> where Yoshihashi lost him and they just went flying over. Some quality <laughs> memories back in the old G one days, the halcyon days of the great work rate promotion. Okay. All right. Boy match. Best match. What is your best boy match? That match that I'm talking about, Will, that's the one everyone calls the best one of all time. Best match. Who what was your best match? My favorite match of the entire tournament has to go back to Greta Khan versus Jay White. Uh I was gonna say, you know, obviously um Okada versus Will Ospreay, but I'll get there. Because I was such a fan of Okan and wanted a match. I wanted a match where I was invested into it. And when he had Jay White, it was the first time that I actually got to see Okan do his thing like in a different level. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was also added by the fact that Jay did what Jay does, but it was so cool to see Jay had to literally scrap and pull a move out out of nowhere to beat him. It was a cool story. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the fact that Okan had that grip the you know over his face the entire the time face hugger like thing yeah. yeah that's that's what I mean like it was for me personally as someone who was so invested in a Khan and wanted to see a match that was my absolute favorite boy match of the entire tournament good pick I like that match do you think Okan got enough out of that match to carry his G one um for me yeah like yeah. off of that match do you think he got yeah. enough to carry a positive vibe heading out of the tournament. Yeah, because like Jay only just pulled that one out. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun and creative and it was different to any other match. And yeah, I really I really liked it. And it led to me, and look, let's just, just get prepared. Like we talk about all our weird things we talk about. I just want to take a, a short early stage victory lap on this insight because after that match, I think we had a chat and I was talking about how I see the character as being like Oka, like the great, you know, where Oka was before. And like Okan, the great Okan, and talking about how he's like a shooter, and then the the like the the Mongolian being like the 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 great Muda, like a mm. dichotomy of the character. Well, it's interesting. You know how uh, 
Keiji Muto's on his last five matches, you know, his retirement series. Well, he's this this week it was announced that he's going to be engaging in a match for Noah with a tag partner where Keiji Muto is coming back as the great Muda and he's teaming with the great Okan. Oh, awesome. Passing the torch of that idea. I believe it's very yeah. possible that he is going to pass the torch. We could be getting missed. Oh, we could be what? getting great Okan. No way. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, he holds the hand in front of his face and then pssst. Yes. Mate, if he comes out with face paint sometimes, that'd be awesome. Exactly. Oh. That is the transition yeah. I can see because in that match, when it was happening, I was like, this is like one version of Okan, right? This is the shooter, judoko, like the that kind of player, right? That was him. But to beat Jay White, he has to bring out the next version of him. And that's the that's that next level of I bring this, but great like Okan can't beat you, but the great Okan, the true great Okan can. And I feel like that was the transition. And so it's no surprise. I literally was like, holy shit, they are to put him in the final five and and Recently, um, Muto lost to uh, Kaido Kiyomiya in Noah, and Kiyomiya is now coming out wearing basically Muto cosplays, like wearing his gear and like doing a shining wizard and all that sort of stuff. So he's imparting moves to him as Muto, mm-hmm. so Keiji Muto. But who's he imparting Muta? The great Muta, yeah. Who's in, and it's like the great Okan. If it happens, I'm like fucking W City. <laughs> I, I can dine out on that shit. But that's yeah. why that there was in that match where it became apparent that that was a potential mm-hmm. area for story. And I'm like, that's why it's such a compelling match. I think he got everything he needed out of that match because it showed the future of what he could be. And it paired him up with the guy he has to then demonstrate that on. So I was, yeah. I'm with you, Red. It was an awesome match. And well, Dave Meltzer I mean, loved it. He gave it like four and a half stars, which has got to be the highest rating he's ever given for a great Okan. He is, it converted Dave Meltzer to great Okan. I mean, like, you know, if you want to break it down even more, you can go into my fanboyism. Like, Josh and I went and saw Mick Foley. So any form of move involving a face, you know, and a hand. Yeah, Great Okan gives facials. We know this. It's always going to win me over. And I saw this in one match. I saw Jay White reverse everything he could. But it was the way that Jay kicked the back of his leg and then hit, you know, the move that that was absolutely brilliant. There's a mandible claw in there too, Red. I know, I know. Yeah. Exactly in the G1. That's what I was looking for. Was a a match between two guys that I've never seen wrestle before and have an absolute banger. And yep. that was exactly what I was looking for. And that's what delivered. Awesome. Uh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is why I'm into wrestling. Well, I think a lot of us into wrestling. Good shit. My favorite match. Well, my best boy match was uh, <laughs> pageantry versus brutality. Had two of my boys in it. Um, Kenta versus Tanahashi. Yes. Oh, I, uh, I knew you'd like just, it, though. I knew it. Yeah. Just loved it for the um, continuation after Wrestle Kingdom. And I like that this, this <laughs> it's like the dad rivalry. <laughs> Your two uncles are scrapping <laughs> at, the fucking, at the cookout and they're fucking going at it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like I really like the like, you know, the sort of story that Kevin Kelly and Jonah, who's uh low key awesome on commentary. How good was he? Um, yeah, he's really good. Good to hear another Australian voice on there other than just Gino. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, they sort of talked about that, like the pageantry of of Tanahashi and then sort of like the no frills brutality of Kenta. And that's just 
I don't know. It's sort of it was I thought it was really apt description and I like I like those two as a feud for that reason. They're sort of they're very, very different in a lot of ways. And Kenta got a lot of offense in in the match and which allowed for Tanahashi to have these really cool kind of comeback spots where you think that because Kent is getting so much offense, offense Tanahashi's going to come back and hit the high fly flow. Mm. And then he brings the knees up and um, Kent, you know, Kent sits, has, also has a match with the table a couple of times oh. trying to get it to stand up on his legs. And then if it's fuck this. Yeah, and then he just hoys it straight into <laughs> Tanah's face. Um, but it's purely, I mean... Purely the reason I love that match is because uh, his stuff with Tana at the moment is where Kento is becomes his fully formed version of himself at the moment, where he's hilariously funny uh, and his offense is really vicious. And then because he's got a, a feud and a, a clear hatred for Tanahashi, like a lot of stuff gets real violent. Um, and that also brings out sort of some great, some scrape spots from Tana, like that left hook where he oh, fucking really took Red Shoe's head off. The best ref bump I've seen in years. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, it's that match. It was just just lots of fun. Everything I loved about it. The promos afterwards were were wonderful as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, Tana, Tanahashi doing the laying down on the ground spot at the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he sort of just made this really interesting comment about his G1, mm-hmm. where he talked about um, not only is it a G1, but it's a G1 that has lots of revenge matches. So yeah. I thought that was a really kind of key point for Tanahashi. Like he felt like a lot of guys were after him in his G1. It's a revenge tour. Yeah. Yeah. So I really like that. And then he just sort of, he's just laying on the ground. And he's just like, this sucks. <laughs> and then just gets up and gets up. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, you've, you got to remember like that. The story of that match is is Tana's if Tana wins, he's he basically wins the the block basically. Like his the way it was sorted, it was like my chance, like Kenta the spoiler, and yeah. Kenta's whole thing is I could think of nothing more. Like Kenta treated the tournament like a book tour, but it was clear it was leading to the well, yeah. And then in like in his promo, he's like, uh, you know, I didn't really care about winning, but you could tell he wanted to win that, that one. one. Like that was the yeah. one that he wanted. And I mean, this is just another chapter, like they say. In the, uh... I like it. I think it's a. I think it's a really good. Like I know Tanahashi's now paired up with Carl Anderson to go for the Never Belt. I'm like, if Tana gets that Never Belt, that's a rivalry I'm happy to see. Kenta versus Tana for the Never Belt. Yeah, like they did the same thing with the US Belt there for a while. Yeah, I just think that's yeah. that's a level where they're probably at, and it's a level where I think they. They can like you imagine that like fourth match on a Wrestle Kingdom. It's Kenta versus Tanahashi. It's like I'm like yes, like yes, <laughs> yes, but also no. <laughs> avoid the ladders. Don't get any ladders. Yeah. No ladders, don't let, please. Don't let Kenta pick the stipulation. No, but you know what I mean. Like that, that that match was the 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 simple things about a New Japan about a G1 about a whole thing is like they're the stories that that was six months or seven months in the making. Kenta wears the scars on his back of that match. It's such a reminder of the brutality of that thing. He wears it and all he wanted was an apology of like, <laughs> why the fuck did you push me off a ladder? <laughs> like, how dare you? And he's like framing himself as this sympathetic guy. And I just think that's a rivalry. You don't actually ever need to have any story built. Like the moment they're paired up, it's like, 
well, they're going to beat the shit out of each other. And it's just, I just like that they've gotten to a point where they've got a couple of those kind of inbuilt rivalries. And if you think about it, it's it's All Japan or Noah versus New Japan. It's like a perfect, mm-hmm. they're kind of the ace of their, like, of their generation, generation. you know? Yeah. And so it's, a, it's just made for it. And their styles and their philosophies are so contrasting and different. Like you said, the pageantry versus brutality, which speaks so much to the flip, the inversion that we saw between uh, Strong Style and King's Road, where it became, you know, Noah became this, you know, kick and this really strong physical promotion, whereas New Japan became the character pageantry, big picture stars kind of promotion. They kind of flipped uh, in, you know, the the in the Bushi Road era. So it's mm. kind of cool to see that sort of play out, where it's like, who's Strong Style? You know, like who is strong style in this thing? Who is the the big elaborate King's Road sort of? It's kind of a nice little dynamic they've got at play. So I always enjoy when they get together. And yeah, give me give me the moment. I in my pro wrestling, I just like when at one point a wrestler just grabs another man by the by the hair and just knees him in the head. I just think the simplicity of that. I think it's a great setup. Like you can do all your flashy setups, but nothing quite beats a just 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 knee in the face and then up on my shoulders, son. Like yeah. just, just, just simple, <laughs> brutal, violent. Great. It's caveman stuff. Kenta. It's caveman it stuff. Yeah, Kenta is caveman. Yeah, yeah. Crow Magnum Kenta is a fucking gun, and that's why he loves fucking sticks. You know, like he goes, he takes <laughs> it back. Okay, well, I won't spend too much time explaining because we did talk about it last week. But my my match is obviously I is the the final match of the the G one. Uh, Will Ospreay being my guy, I was very tempted. I was very tempted to go Will Spray Naito. I was very tempted for that because I had my two boys in there. Um, and I thought Naito did a great job. But I just think that, that final match, I, I, I rewatched it this week. And I just wanted to check out because I was like, when we watched it live, I was like, this is really good. I was like, this is great. But when I watched it again, I was like, there's like eight parts to this match. <laughs> like there were like these segments that they sort of had mapped out the whole way. I listened to Meltzer talk about it. That's what ends up happening. I end up listening to Meltzer talk. I'm like, okay, what is Meltzer gonna what is Meltzer gonna say that I'm gonna disagree with? That's normally how I engage with Dave Meltzer's audio. And I was like, the way he was talking about it, I was like, oh, I think I think I might be agreeing with Dave here. And this that was very confronting for me. I'm like, what have I become? <laughs> like he talked about the technicality of it obviously the speed at which they work and the the, how snug it is and how they just do stuff that others just can't do. But it wasn't more technically difficult than the Shingo Osprey match. They were doing things that were like physically impossible. It was like they were sharing a brain, you know? Osprey's got plenty of room up there, but like they were sharing one brain. That wasn't what Okada and Osprey had. And I was like, and it wasn't like Naito and Osprey, which was like a 20 minute sprint with lots of, uh, I would say, ingenious uh, little inversions of like, uh, hope spots like they just changed up hope spots they were doing them differently but it was like this one was like the epic but then i when i rewatched them like it, they, when they said 20 minutes i was like stunned i was like if if here's the thing it felt like it had gone 35 like i said i felt like there was 35 minutes of action in that 20 minutes but it felt like it had only taken 10 yeah they went to the rainmaker they went to that sequence about 20 minutes in and it still yeah. had no like 15 minutes to go and, and then they went to this different level. And I was like, the, when they went to that level, when they changed that up, when they gave Will Ospreay that hope spot, the crowd completely was in the tank for Will Ospreay. From that moment on, they just went and they started making noise and they started investing. I was like, there's a clear shift here that's happening before our eyes where it's like in one night, Ospreay, off the back of that insane promo he gave it, I felt was the best he'd ever given. 
that gave everyone the feel this was the most important match of his life. And it felt like a big, important match. I, I cannot stress how there's just these things that sometimes that you're watching a match and it feels grander than it has any right to be. It just felt big, but it can still be patterned. Like Okada main events can still be really patterned. And I can often find them kind of boring, to be honest. I've seen so many of them. Like I know the beats. Mm-hmm. I'm like, here's the beats. This is where it's going. That's why the Jonah match was so amazing. It was because they they inverted that, but they did the same thing here, Red. They did the exact same thing here because they build up for 20, but instead of Jonah just going whack, 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 bang, they gave Osprey another 13 minutes. So they went to that exact pattern of here it goes, here it goes, Rainmaker, and now we start again. And it was like, and this second half of this thing is going to be a match where we've switched the we've switched the role, we've given you the hope spot. Now can Will win? And I'm I'm thinking, Dave, you had sort of mentioned Will's winning this. And I feel like the switch was in that construction was like, well, he's gotten past that point. The host, but this is, this is, this is setting up to win. And mm-hmm. it was like, because it ceased to be an Okada match and it started to be something entirely different. And that's the point where it was like for third, it wasn't for the whole match, but for those 13, 12, 13 minutes, that's it reached Kenny Omega Okada levels for that period. Because in mm-hmm. that period, it ceased to be one guy's match or another guy's match. It became their match. And yeah. that's where it's like, we know what an Osprey-Okada match can be. Think of what we do. We talked about about the whole Unforgiven stuff. Remember that whole like mm. random segue we went to about like, oh, people are like, I've only got, I, I don't want to have to sit through 30-minute main events, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to watch a movie that goes two and a half hours and the first hour is just slow. But that first twenty minutes of Okada is the is what got us to that thirteen minutes of fucking gold. Yeah, yeah. And it took this. It wasn't slow, but it was Okada in control. It was Okada working the neck. It was Okada being the dominant guy, and it was Osprey getting the hope spots, the comebacks after that stuff on the floor, and then getting that real run. Everything's leading up, and then bang, he's taken down. Ah, oh, shit. He the hope is extinguished. The the fucking the 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 final boss. A cardism is running wild. He's vanquished him. Oh no, he's up. And then from that moment, I was like, well, what happens now? That, and then we get to the fucking Clint Eastwood rides into the saloon and Gene Hackman's in there having a drink. That's where we get to for the last 13 minutes. It's like, yeah. now I don't know where we're headed. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's it's got this this energy that's so different. And to me, pro wrestling can be very patterned and we can say, this is a great match. This is a great match. This was this was about building something that that transcended just being a pro wrestling match into a story that people that have watched pro wrestling can't predict, hmm. and that's like a, they make the logical decision. Okada winning is the logical decision. It makes all the sense before the tournament. It's like it's either Nida or Okada. It's one of those two. And, and then when it went on, it's like, Okada makes the most sense. This is going to be Okada's year, whatever. It's 50th year, Okada's being pushed. But when they can completely convince you the other guy should win and that he's going to win and it's all leading to that, and we've all watched wrestling for so long, that's when I say that's when wrestling, when the stakes are that high, it's when the sport being scripted makes the most sense. Like yeah. you're able to script yeah. drama. Makes me sort of think again that Okada's getting back to that best wrestler in the yep. world level where you know his matches like you said it's sort of got like a feel about them where you can almost predict you know you know it's going to be good but you can kind of feel out the sequence yeah 
and where the direction that it's going and how it's going to get there and what the result is going to be. Yep. But he's like he's getting good again at subverting the idea of what an Okada match is again. Like, you know, before he did the balloon thing, like he went on that huge run with, you know, Kenny and all those guys and he was like just at this unbelievable level and having, you know, having ridiculous matches with everyone in all different styles and he was like, he couldn't really predict what his matches were. No. And then now, and then he kind of went through a period where it's sort of become a bit formulaic almost. And now, if he's getting back to back to that sort of style of like, oh, I'm I'm not having Okada matches. I'm having an everyone match, and it's going to be different each time. That's really interesting. And I think to some extent, you, I think to some extent, because the the shadow of Okada Omega was so large, it cast such a large shadow that it enveloped a lot of that run into people almost uh, projecting the relationship between the two as being a catalyst for Okada's capacity to have that kind of different style main event. Yeah, because people forget that in that run, he is having insane level matches with like Zach. He had that um, Suzuki match yep. as well when Suzuki wore white, yep. the Shibata match. Yeah, I mean, he was having crazy matches with it with fucking everyone. Like the Shibata match and the Zach match. The Shibata match is so different. The Zach match is so different. But I think that people got locked into this narrative that with Omega they created something that was truly transcendent, and they did. Let's not lie; they were they were these incredible sort of epics. But it was it was something that I think Okada had already demonstrated the capacity to do. It's just that it went to another level. And I think yeah. if you... And as, it became not just an epic, it became a saga. <laughs> yeah, it did, right? And it's yeah. like he hasn't got that... He hasn't had that kind of guy. This is the 50th year of New Japan. Okada is being positioned as like the Enoki, right? Like that's the, that's the positioning of him. And it was like, this is a, the G1 in the 50th year. And it was like Okada needed to stake a claim as the guy. And they, they decided... The company decided the best opportunity is to put him in there with Will Ospreay, and he was able to have a transcendently great G1 final, like an all-time great G1 final. Like I think it's behind Tanahashi Ibushi for me is like the best G1 final I've ever seen. Like that was unreal. That was, that, that was yeah. unreal. Like, and had a similar moment where the where the the face slap moment where it just went up to like gear forty seven thousand. Like when once that moment happened and Cunt Coda came out in full effect and got scared. Like Cunt Coda was like, mm. oh. Like when Tana backed him up, when cunt, low key cunt Tana, like became high key cunt Tana. <laughs> yeah, he, he was. It's like, uh, like that was an all time and had the crowd, it had the benefit of the crowd. I feel this match could have gotten there with the that last 12 minutes of the crowd if they had had that, mm. that ability to get to that point. True. But the fact was, was it was like, here is the, here is the transcendent moment for that, that the inside is what's possible. And it's like Okada, as Red noted before, Okada and Jonah had that thing, the same thing that Okada was doing was like, I'm going to have a patent, an idea, but I'll subvert the Okada match and surprise you and create something completely new. Well, that's what he did. He did it there and then he did it again. And I think he did it with the Archer match too. And he did it with the, he did it with uh, the Lawler match. Like he was doing different things and he was doing it under the radar. Different things to each guy. Yeah. People weren't talking about him. He was just going along doing the different style. He wasn't having the pattern stuff. He was finishing matches in 13 minutes. Like he was having 
main events that were going less than 20. And no one was talking about the fact that the patent Okada match wasn't there. So when we finally got to what people expect to be the patent New Japan pro wrestling main event final Okada main event yeah and he's been doing these 20 minute style matches with that sort that, of and then and then yeah, now we go something else. else and it, it stunned yeah. everyone and it took us in a direction we weren't expecting and i'm like that's the masters at, at work that's when they are doing what they do that no one else can do when Okada is the best at taking the simplest of functions and i think that's the thing like everyone thought the magic between Okada and omega was a, that Okada's so basic like he just loves basic things like when's the best time to put my drop kick in like that's all he cares about is he's simple like i got five moves that i know are going to be really effective and i'll know the right spot to put them in and omega's the opposite of that of like let's do all these really complex interesting callbacks links into this stuff and maybe the the alchemy is, is more is more aligned when it's like basic uh taste okada like the simple guy merges better with osprey who does the high flashy stuff, but isn't too concerned about adding a lot of extra intricacies to that. So it just, they, they seem to fit really well. And I, I, and Dave Meltzer sort of mentioned, he's like, he was like, it's like, it's not better than Omega Okada, but it might be as good as some of Omega Okada. When that's when Dave Meltzer's having that discussion for everyone that's criticizing what Okada has done. And, and I understand the pattern man events and all that sort of stuff, but you're just not watching because the whole point is to set you up to a position where you expect it, and when it comes from out of nowhere, it takes for the people that were watching live. That was a wild last fifteen minutes, just a wild time because at that point, no one knew it was happening. We were all but locked into it, and anything was possible. Any result was possible. Any outcome, any move, any any callback, any link. That is that it doesn't work unless you're invested in that slow build of that early part, and you're invested in that two-year arc of Akata being sort of locked into this uh, Akataism. Like, that's his thing. Like, I've got this approach. Now, we don't know what it is. And now he's going to be the new Anoki, and I am so here for it. I'm, I apologize to anyone that's, like, concerned about Akata on top. I fucking love it. I think Akata, mm. as, the, as the man, is the, be the new Japan was at its best when that man was running the shit. I'm here for it. I want him to be the sun through which everyone orbits is in his rightful place. And uh, the match proved exactly why that is. I think there's no doubt that they're, they're booking him as a, a super strong guy. And I believe that over time he will be not a heel, but he'll be presented as the final boss. That is, yeah. that is the final position for Okada is to become the final boss. And if, through which everyone must defeat before they can become that next guy. He is going, and he, I believe he will suit that role better than even Tana did because Tana is so fucking lovable. You can, you can make Okada the guy through which everyone wants to see get beaten. And I think that that is a, and, and, but yet when he wins, people still go, yeah, fair fucks. He's the best. <laughs> you can't take it away from him. No. Nah. Off the back of that, best boy moment. The single biggest, most significant moment of your entire life. Best boy moment. I can follow if you want. I can answer first up because I can follow on from what I was just talking about. Uh, my best boy moment was uh, quite simply, Jonah goes to the top rope. For me, that's the moment that even I talked about this transcendent main event. 
the moment that I will remember the most in the G1. And I will remember it perhaps at the same level that I remember Despy takes off his mask in terms of the pandemic era of the things that I, I can just, like I hear it or I see it in my mind's eye, I can visualize it, is that spot where Okada goes the shotgun dropkick, he's powerbombed, he's then lifted up, he's powerbombed again, and the crowd in Osaka who have seen the presentation of Jonah know what this means. The moment, the moment Jonah goes that second rope, they go fucking batshit. They went banana. And they, they go banana and they know what's happening. And I can't stress to people. I know the people that have been following the G1 during the, uh, following new Japan during this, this pandemic era, it's been rough in some patches. It's been really tough. Like they're, you know, the Yano Chase 32 minute match, you know, like there's been some really, there's been some really tough, dark times. But when you, when you, and you sort of forget what crowds sound like, you forget what, how electric pro wrestling can be, and you forget how invested and emotionally engaged crowds can be to the point they forget everything. And when that, when he went up and that crowd went, lost their shit, it was like everything collided for me because it was Josh has taken the biggest W on the Jonah discussion and all the discords like fucking yes i've fucking done it because he's he's just shown out and shown what we all knew he could be two holy shit new japan's done it again they've made a star in two weeks and three he's about to beat fucking okada like holy shit and in the air as he lands and then the crowd is literally counting one two three a transcendent moment just a just awesome moment if jonah never does anything in new japan he will always remember that that was the night that he knew i'm a i'm a guy like i'm actually like he can whenever he's having a tough run or when he's feeling down know that he is a tremendous pro wrestler because he was able to get a crowd who are not allowed to make noise lose their minds and i think new japan watching that just went all right where's the cat where's the checkbook because we have got ourselves a star and what a moment unbelievable best moment of my g1 best it'll be my it'll be my new japan moment of the year it was one of the coolest moments i've seen in g1 for years i was borderline crying it was i was emotional i thought it was the best you know as as like a fans of jonah and watching okada and everything too like okada was one of my guys and i'm watching this and it's like i want points but at the same time i'm fan jonah and this guy's he's like, go Jonah, Joe, Jonah. And he goes to this, he doesn't even like put both feet on the top rope. He just jumps off. Fucking the card is down. I got one shot. Let me go. And it just it just meant that it crescendoed. It didn't give people time to they they anticipated the moment he went. It was like, ah, it just it just perfect. It was perfect. How great is it that it like it's it's helpful that it's and it's well, not helpful, but it's I don't know. Can't help but feel like extra close because he's an Australian. That's my boy. Yeah, he's an Australian. Yeah. Like he's just this. He's, he's like a, a you know, fellow from Adelaide. You know, like he's a big boy. He's from Australia. He's he's had a tough trot because like he, you know, like he was he was positioned in NXT as a guy, and he yeah. had a you know he had this he was a champion and he had a vision of where he was going to go, and it just all got dragged out from under him. And one year later, he's in a main event in Osaka wrestling Okada. And beating Okada, they don't give those out. They don't just give out Okada losses. Yeah. I just think it's like, yeah, Dave. I'm like, I just remember him drinking a tinny and slapping some bloke in fucking <laughs> in a shed, you know, like. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like to see that guy, um, to get that opportunity, and I'm like, yeah, 
I'm like, yeah, that's an Australian. Like we, I, we were talking about it during the best Super Juniors. And we talked about how great it was seeing Robbie Eagles sort of be positioned as like one of the best wrestlers in the world. And like, but it's not inconceivable that Jonah is not going to be wrestling for a world title and to be a credible threat. Yeah, and it's always look. Robbie's great, and I love the juniors, but to have a heavyweight, yeah, over there doing well, beat Okada, like, like that's that's big for this country yeah. in wrestling, like. Every Australian indie guy in this country will, you know, they probably would have wrestled with Jonah at some point. Yeah. They'd be like, oh, that, like, that's a big moment yeah. for them. Thinking back, and it's really, it was really wholesome when, when Robbie won the world, like the junior title, right? And there's a video of Charlie Evans, the wrestler, like recording herself, like just losing her shit. Like, just she, she mm-hmm. was like the whole, because it's like, it's proof of what's possible. If you're an Australian wrestler, I get the the motivation to be a big star and go to WWE and all that sort of stuff. But Australian wrestling is almost built on this idea. And, and Robbie's talked about it of like, we think we're the best. Like we think we cultivate the best. And so a G1 and a like a New Japan pro wrestling, which has this luster as being a place that, you know, where the best of the best, the go, best go to yeah. to be in a like in that tournament. In that tournament at against Okada at that spot. Yeah. That's what they say is where the best, that's where the big boys play. Like that's, that's legit what it is. And it's like him going there is an affirmation of what everyone believes to be true down here. And so the fact that he was positioned that way, the fact that he finished second in the group, you know, the fact that like he didn't, he, Jonah was not pinned nor submitted. The fact Mm. that he is now wrestling Okada at, at declaration of power in the semi main, like it ain't a, it ain't a one-time thing. Yeah, honestly, yeah. we should all catch up and go down to an Australian pub and watch that match together. <laughs> Which it won't be on. Yeah, wouldn't you spend well on? Have you got a fire stick? That's such a great thing for Pacifica too. Like Jay White's on top versus Tamatonga. Yeah, like yeah. think of the diversity of that top four. There's like yeah. one Japanese guy in the top four of that thing, Okada, and then you've got you know a Tongan, a Kiwi, and an Australian, and it's like. Mm. This is this is to me is what a G one and what New Japan Pro Wrestling is. It's a stage for the world's best to come and prove that they're the best. And it's like that you talk about like the Mortal Kombat stuff, like the Street Fighter stuff. Like that shit's yeah. the best yeah. when it's just a bunch yes. of guys from all around the world come together to prove who's like it's it's what Anoki always wanted. Like come to prove whose style is strongest. And for Jonah, it's like Aussie yeah. fucking big boy yeah. style, beefy big boy style <laughs> can beat the best. Can yeah. beat the best, and he knows it can beat the best because guess what? He fucking did it, and in that moment, all of that crescendos for that that time. I give out all the stiffies. If I could give him, I I can't give him enough stiffies. I want to give Jonah all the stiffies. Look, Australia needs to give out all of our stiffies to Jonah. He, he's <laughs> earned it, people. <laughs> Hashtag send send Jonah your stiffies. <laughs> <laughs> stiffies up for Jonah, boys. Get him up. <laughs> Send them in hashtag stiffies to Jonah. Okay. Well, I mean, this is a canter heavy theme. So <laughs> themes are night for me. So we'll just go right back to canter. Is that as opposed to anything else we've had along the G1? I think this is the part. I mean, I would have spoken a lot more about Jay, this G1, but I feel like his G1 really didn't get started until the final night. <laughs> yeah, until he lost. And he won all his previous <laughs> matches and yeah. then he lost. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and, and it's like a, it's a two part best favorite moment of the g1 one being 
that match with Goto, which I loved and nearly came up to um, par with my Goto, uh, with my Kentatana match. But you and I were giggling like schoolgirls. Oh, it was just so funny. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious when he's like struggling to lift Goto and then kind of come out of a move and punted him in the head and then gave him the almighty go to sleep. And I'm pretty sure he gave him CTE. <laughs> yeah. About fucking knocked his head off. Um, and then the um, uh, the second part to that favourite moment was the the night when he does his promo where he's not going to promote his book and then runs into the girl Shimoda. as he's walking. He's like, I'm out of here. And he walks into her and drops the book. And he's like, oh, my book. And it comes out on... July 27. A, a little like Mimi Shimoda needs to get like a low key reference to it. She was in like, she was in both Jay and Kenta's backstage promo. She did a great <laughs> job. <laughs> she did do a great job. So yeah, that was, that, that were my highlights yep. for the, uh, for the G1. Not like there's lots, but just everything. About I, I like, I like the idea, yeah. Dave. Uh, Kenta exhales is like your moments. The moment when <laughs> Kenta gets up and like, <laughs> was like, it's going into overdrive. I, <laughs> He's he's after this G one, and because it's been eight months or whatever of not seeing him, he's like on J level as far as my favorite wrestler. At the moment. I don't think you have to qualify that. I'm pretty key, pretty clear that Kenta has moved. <laughs> I'm just in. glad that he's back. Let me say that. And isn't it great, Dave? It's going to be him and EOP together. I couldn't think of any. I'm I'm so pre- I'm so pleased for you, Dave. Congratulations. It's like it's like Gato is booking just for you. Here yeah. you go. Put these two together. You want some some dudes to watch? Here you go. We'll make these guys awesome. They're wrestling, they're wrestling Shingo and Hiromu on the next tour. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> like, like holy shit, get in. Naito is my boy, and he'll always be my boy. And I am so pissed off I couldn't draft him. Naito Zach. Like, what a moment. Like Zach. Does his tanty. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> that tanty is all-timer. It's an all-timer. Like, he's got a yeah. chair over his head. He's got a chair over here. They're playing baseball. Like, I just love that they, they Gato went to him and said, you've got 10 minutes. They said, okay, we'll use two minutes for the match. And then <laughs> eight, eight minutes to have a fucking tantrum. It, yeah, how good was that? Like, that was a highly anticipated match. Like, a really anticipated yeah. match because it's the match where Naito dressing the guy who took him out of last year's G1 that destroyed his knee. And the match goes for two minutes. And it's like, well, we didn't get what we wanted. But then we get this completely different thing. <laughs> Zach putting him, like, Zach going on this just rant, wanting to wear Naito's skin as a suit. Like is against he's a, he's a he's a vegan he's against cruelty to animals but he's not against cruelty to Naito like, <laughs> that whole thing changes the system so Naito and Zach I think is going to be a story to look forward to as well. Dave, this is just for you. Best boy quote or promo. Earlier we talked to Jumpin' Jeff Farmer. Let's go now to that interview. Best quote. And which which one of Kenta's lines are you taking, Dave? <laughs> which 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 Kenta line is making it to the illustrious? Um, my honourable mention is um is Kevin Kelly Pretty talking good about our show. Pretty good <laughs> line. As mentioned, yeah. Um, actually, I'll subvert your expectations and Ooh. not go with the Kenta quote because I have one written down. Oh, okay, but you've got you've but, got backup quotes. But my quote of. Uh, my quote of the tournament is the nine different ways in which Jay White says fuck. Fuck! 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 
<laughs> one of a viral promo. <clears throat> Great promo. Great promo. Simple. Yeah. Fuck. 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 <laughs> fuck. 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 Like everyone's been there. And I feel like I feel like Jay, Dave, had that promo and the clap promo was like these two very like oscillating approaches to how he was going to do the tournament where it's like cunty i'm i'm smart clever look how clever i am promo to i am breaking down i fucking lost to tamatonga and somehow he was able to both in that promo basically say my life is shit i lost to tamatonga but not make tamatonga sound shit you know what i mean like i lost tamatonga i'll never live that down yeah, yeah, and like you, you know, you you get your come to Jesus moment, but you you fucking it's the moment of your life, not your career. <laughs> yeah. You will never fucking get it again. Yeah. You better like this <laughs> shit. And then I'm not yeah. giving that belt up. And then and then he's saying all this stuff as if he's putting on the bravado, like bringing the bravado up. And then yeah. the realization, and then the realization hit. sets in. <laughs> oh fuck! <laughs> and people are using that for everything now. Like on Twitter, yeah. anybody's like, something's gone wrong. Like reaction to this card, this thing happened. Fuck, fuck. Someone, someone, got, someone was positive on a COVID test and they were putting up the J. Like it is going <laughs> viral because yeah, it's such a relatable experience of expectation reality hits. And when it hits yeah. and just that's a promo that we're going to talk about in the same way that it, it, it it's, it feels like a sibling to that post Wrestle Kingdom promo, you know, where he's like, he does the fall off the chair laughing. I starts crying, just, you know, promo yeah, yeah. where he just gets really, it feels too real for Jay at that moment. It sort of settles in for a bit. And he's like, help me Gator. And from that moment on post, post that there was no, he, he settled down the, the, the Jay show shit that all settled down. It just became like, fuck you, Tama. Fuck you. What a quote. It probably this this category could also sort of be named like the honorary who was great on commentary uh award because yeah because there was a lot of there was a lot of great lines on commentary and and a lot of guys that on commentary that I really appreciated this year the way they went about them and I mean that in the terms of like there wasn't they weren't cutting promos on commentary they weren't necessarily going really strong into character and the idea of bringing in a second guy when Kevin Kelly was not, so he wasn't beyond his own. And look, we have got, I know you sort of mentioned it, you know, sort of jokingly in the sense of like Kevin Kelly mentioning us, but you like, it has to be said, he's just, he's the best commentator in the business. Like Mm. his capacity to work with a different guy for like four straight nights and continue to, to propel stories and to set guys up to help them to tell the stories that they're trying to get across in the G1 is so good. Like him and Tom Lawler have that two guys on the bus talking about pro wrestling chemistry. That's their thing for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. yeah. And they, and they bring that to the, they bring that to the commentary table. Whereas him and him and uh, Lance Archer have the uh, Kevin Kelly respects Lance Archer and feels he needs to get more opportunities dynamic of like trying. He's like, <laughs> he's like his hype man. He's like, always yeah. hyping up like and somehow kevin figures a way to do a kayfabe way of why people like why, why lance doesn't work on AEW TV very much because everyone's scared to wrestle him because he's so dominant yeah. so like yeah you, you just gotta, you gotta get those opportunities because people just are afraid so you got to really assert yourself you know like and it's like that was really clever and but nothing and and and, and him with finley and almost like like uh kevin kelly playing like dad to finley to try to like encourage him to come out of his shell on commentary 
And I thought Finley sort of struggled a bit of, of the guys other than Chase. Chase, is, Chase, I mean, Chase barely spoke. It did. And I think the three-man booth is, is a tough dynamic. I don't think they should do yeah. it when there's an extra guy. I think it works better when Kevin can just tee up whoever the guy he's with. Yeah, because with Jonah, it was just the two of them, wasn't it? Yeah. And Jonah was the best example of a guy that obviously went to NXT. And if he hasn't trained in that, he was... He he could have fooled me because he was fucking amazing. Like he just had yeah. anecdote stories. He was pitching stuff. He was he was talking about other guys' stories. He was he was like a true commentator. He understood the role. He got the assignment and spoke spoke a lot from like a fan perspective as well, which I really like. Yeah, like all these Bullet Club guys. Like an honorable mention. I'm going to call Hunter and Sean to get rid of this fucking too sweet shit. Yeah, like yeah, just yeah. little things. Oh, and that... Whereas and whereas ELP's like, oh, what's that move? That move doesn't have a name. I'm going to steal that move. <laughs> if you if you if you steal it and you name it, then it's yours, right? <laughs> the cheeky side. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Nothing beats the dynamic between Kevin Kelly and ELP because ELP, like when ELP was swearing on commentary, and Kevin would be watch the language. He'd <laughs> just be like, watch the language. <laughs> ELP coming out with the story of him eating throughout the entire time he'd be eating pizza or eating a burger on commentary because the idea was uh, as he explained was Shingo had told him he had to become a heavyweight so he's just bulking up like that was his idea <laughs> I'm bulking up so I gotta eat this shit and uh and he and turning up in Hawaiian shirt like to commentate yeah so ELP had some absolute classic shit that he was there he was always on and he was always making ridiculous insights but nothing no quote beat for me was ELP's just complete burial of Yujiro Takahashi. I just think the Yujiro-David Finley match and ELP just committing to speaking on behalf of all fans watching, and Kevin Kelly obviously has done that too. He He's always talking from a fan perspective about House of Torture and how we don't like them and that sort of stuff and trying to keep it kayfabe. Yeah, but the way the way that ELP is just talking about like Yujiro moving like slowly and Yujiro like do it like and just. Yeah, the quote the quote that comes down is the ten minute call comes in and yeah, ELP's line, ten minutes doesn't feel any doesn't feel does doesn't feel any shorter than twenty, is just a just a perfect description of that yeah, match because they're going at half. Speed, they're going yeah. at half speed and it was just it was so good and it spoke to fans that were experiencing that. I know that ELP is a cheeky bugger the fact that he got away with that and the fact he's talking about bullet club it builds his story it does all that sort of stuff as well and and he was great on commentary but that moment was the best and so final point leading out of the g1 what was our most compelling boy story hello boys and girls and welcome to the new and most entertaining segment and that's story time with yours truly so yes what was our most compelling Boy story. So the, the story that in the G1 um, that sort of hooked us into, you know, what we were keen to follow along with. What what got us watching? What got us watching? It's hard to say. I have Finley. Finley was a good story. Finley was a great story. But the rise of Finley. Off the back of the discussion regarding ELP, I think my most compelling boy story was ELP the heavyweight. I think I got the most out of that. Like I liked the Jonah stuff really liked the, I liked what that said about what, like for whatever people want to think about Gato, he can still figure He can still make a guy in three weeks. Like the, it wasn't the short-term booking. Like, I don't think, I don't know. Is there a word for it? Like 
it wasn't short-term booking. It was like a concerted effort to get a guy over with microwave long-term booking. <laughs> like they just sped up the process. <laughs> and so I liked that. But going in, I was invested in ELP. I wanted to see what would happen. And when you mentioned before, Dave, about Juice, about you not knowing where he was going to go. Mm. That's when I'm with ELP now. I know the pairing. Like I know he's paired up with Shingo now, which is going to be like, if that's your first rivalry coming out of uh, G1 as a heavyweight and you're being paired up with Shingo, that tells me a lot about where they think you can be. Shingo being obviously the king of pro wrestling thing where he's wanting a bigger trophy, which is very Shingo. So that can be anything. They can do anything. But with ELP, it's like now he's paired up with Kenta. I thought he might go face, but now I'm not so convinced. Now I don't know where he goes. But yeah. the story of this G1 was, can he hang at the heavyweight level? Can he bring that style in? Yes, he can. And what was great was he didn't have to wrestle. He didn't. He wrestled as uh, without cheating. So he, he never had any interference. He never, other than the dick punch with Shingo, which felt to me like at that point now we're not, we're not going full heel, but we're sort of just going to, uh, we're going to keep ELP on the heel side. But it sort of solidifies the rivalry between them too, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. and that Shingo is going to be the face and that ELP will be the heel. And yeah. the fact that we saw something out of Shingo we have never seen. I have never seen it before. Yeah, like frustration. Angry, like upset. Yeah, get, like ELP is under his skin. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was to me was like, if that's going to be this, like that could be a rivalry where it's going to be, the matches are going to be high flying. I think it can rival. I honestly think it can rival Osprey Shingo in terms of technical capacity because ELP is that good. Yeah. So, and probably more athletic at this stage in his career than Osprey is at this stage in his career in terms of his high flying, like ELP is probably more of that now. So that's where they're headed with that. So that's really the, for me, the most compelling story is the thing that, that sort of motivated a lot of my insights during the, the tournament, but also the thing that I can really look forward to leaving the tournament. And I'm like, yeah, that rivalry, the work, I don't know where they're going to do it, but it's going to be a lot of fun. It, the seeds are planted for it at Forbidden Door. So it's it's clear that there's been a connection for this story. They wanted to tell it. It was, it was started in America. It's very possible that they'll continue it in those spaces as well. It's got potential and it's got the potential to get ELP up to that level of being a really credible heavyweight. And I think that's going to be really, really fun. So yeah, ELP was my, was my most compelling story. The, the story of the man eating burgers, eating, eat, wearing Hawaiian shirts, doing some random shit in the background. Now he's, now he's Shingo is now ELP is Shingo's daddy. It's yeah. I think that's a really good direction and the t-shirt's going to be great. He's already getting a bunch of people to design the shirts for him. So that will be, that'll be something to keep an eye out on. So yeah, ELP was my most compelling boy story yeah yeah well i mean yeah he was just a guy i was sort of sneaky trying to get but i thought he might end up going particularly after um best of super juniors having him then i was like oh he'd be fun to have in the g1 too stuff with robbie and yeah that's why i got him so early man because i was like dave's gonna dave's gonna collect all of the fucking your infinity gauntlet of boys is very defined and i i know who they are (laughs) I was like, I got to steal this one. Juicy stories. Yeah. Um, I've I've got a couple. Um, my honourable mention is Jay's story, just with the loss to Tama, where that leads, and then what that leads to. That's kind of compelling, but that wasn't a story that was really told no. throughout 
the G1. It was more just the tail end there between the two of them. Um, it's a story for the back end of the year. Yeah. the I mean, and I talked about a bunch through, through the weeks, but the most compelling, my most compelling boy story um, is uh, the story of Juice yeah. and what what he even is. I thought... I thought I had some clarity going in and I think I'm less less sold on my ideas coming out the end of it other than the fact that like around this idea about, about the liar and, you know, like we said just before about sort of him not doing a lot of the promos after the Finley loss, how that sort of changed him, where that leads him to and what chaos that that brings and does he does he start, you know, going even further into this kind of Pillman-esque mm-hmm. sort of area. That's that's my most compelling uh, boy throughout the G1 uh, for all those reasons. And I thought he had, you know, great matches in yeah. even in his losing efforts. I thought he was putting guys over really strong and we got that really nice uh, contrast between the sort of chicken shit and the vicious, vicious mm. yeah. guy. Yeah, so different. Yeah. yeah and he's just fun. There's something fun about him in this uh, incarnation, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it unfold. The big takeaway, Dave, being I had an expectation. It didn't live up to that expectation, but it did something different, and I'm excited to see where that thing goes. It's a very rare combination where you can have a thing that you wanted to – like I, I was with you, like – I don't want to be like some genius and like narrative, like, oh, I can see this coming. Like a lot of stories you can generally see where they're coming from because they're booked to be long term and they should they should plant seeds and they should be logical and they like because then you feel like you you can follow the story along and you feel like you're invested. But when you do something that's this, it has to be executed the right way. Otherwise people can can lose out on it. And the fact that I think we've been pretty consistent in our feeling that this is something different, but something's happening. Like something's going mm. on here. I'm not sure what it is, but something's happening. When I feel like the G1, because he kind of, he tapered off towards the end and got a bit quiet and was losing matches, I feel like whatever happens next for him is going to be big and a real surprise. People aren't going to expect what he does next because there was this expectation for the G1. Dave, didn't we have these exact same conversations about Jay White early remember early jay white yeah. discussion you, you it was always a feeling like it's clear that jay white is a project and it's clear that they have goals for him i have no idea what the end goal is and it wasn't until he did that switch on kenny and that that whole like like the kenny stuff and the chaos stuff remember that like the chaos yeah. stuff it's like what's happening here like he's second in command to like to he remember when jay was in chaos it made no sense made no yeah it didn't make any sense it was like well why is he there but he's there because he's anti-bullet club but it was like something's happening we just can't feel it but we know they're going to do something big and then they did something big and i feel like it's i feel like this is even more obscure than the j1 because the j1 was like yeah. a big push coming back all that sort of stuff it was kind of telegraphed but yeah. yeah i mean this is kind of abstract i've got no idea where it's going yeah which is compelling right yeah yeah i think so I'll be keeping my eyes uh, out, eyes out, ears out. <laughs> ears out. Get your ears out for juice, boys and girls. Yeah, my eyes out for uh, for what happens next. I do feel like it, that there is a possibility that he may have a hand in what goes on between Finley and Osprey. Yeah, I think you might be right. He may play 
play a role in there somehow. The fact that Finley has swooped in and taken his push is is it's not by accident. Yeah, I mean he's not going to get a he's that jealousy is he's not going to get oh, over the that. rage yeah. that he's going to have of Finley getting that spot. Oh my god! It's either Finley wins. My my view is Finley beats Osprey. I think Osprey's because Osprey lost the British heavyweight title this weekend. Oh okay. And I think he's going to lose the US belt too. And my prediction is, yeah, Finley wins. And Finley's like, I finally did it. I've, you know, like, because Finley cut that awesome promo after thing. And here comes Juice. And then in comes fucking Juice to just ruin it for Finley. And yeah. and then you're off to the races. Finley versus Juice, Wrestle Kingdom build, in start now. Blood feud. Blood, yeah. True blood feud over that belt that Juice delusionally believes is his. And yeah. who Finley has through hard work and sacrifice and dedication has earned. And that's a perfect, those two guys going head to head for that belt. That's the story. I'm I'm there for that. And they will put on at Wrestle Kingdom, they'll put on a violent masterpiece. Like they'll, they will go, yeah. if their Corican match is anything to go by, you put them in a Wrestle Kingdom spot with all the eyes on that card on a bumper one night card. Hmm. Juice will the juice the madman will do whatever it takes to get <laughs> that just, shit over. Yeah, you'll jump up all sorts of shit. Yeah, head yeah. first through tables all night long. So yeah, I I think that if I'm conspiracy booking reading the tea leaves, I think that's the direction they go. We and we don't hear any about we, juices goes quiet for the next month until I think he might that yeah, night. I think he goes quiet. Yeah, that night because I don't think he's on the tours. I don't know. I haven't seen him around, and he just turns up. Yeah. So watch out for juice because you're not going to see him coming. The juice is loose. There we go. Stiffy's 2022 G1 is complete. What a monster tournament, monster show, monster edition, monster everything. The monster block. Monster block. The Jonah of the uh, of the podcast. The Stiffy's give out get Stiffy's out for Jonah. Always remember, important. Always remember, Stiffy's out for Jonah. Uh, I just a as I said on reflection, I think lots of there were a lot of uh things that were a downside for the G1 this year in terms of we, we noted them before. But at the end of the day, I there's more good coming from this tournament than I would say bad. And there's more things moving forward that I can see that I couldn't see before and just fresh new faces, fresh new matchups, new directions. So well done boys. It was a good fun tournament and we uh... made it. I'll see you next year. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. See you for the next year one. Well, I'm waiting for the tag tournament. Dog's growling on the couch over there. That's why I was distracted. <laughs> like, what the fuck? He's hearing about Bad yeah, Tito, which is yeah. important, to, important to remember. It's only Reddit. It's only two weeks before there is cheering crowds again at Corican. And the first match, the first match back with cheering crowds is Minoru Suzuki versus Bad Dude Tito. Awesome. The first, the first thing that the Japanese fans who have been waiting nearly over two years are going to get to do is sing Kaze Ninare. The first thing that's going to be... I am the wind. I am the wind. And they're going to then... And that pop will be surpassed when Big Teats comes through that fucking curtain. <laughs> big Teats, Tito. Fucking Big Teats. You want to talk about a man that's... If, you want to, if I wanted to create a Stiffy Award, it might just be Bad Dude Tito. It might, might just be him, like bad dude Tito, yeah. like him and an Oscar. Like it's just him, him. with an extra. We him like posing, like doing that Hulk pose with an erection. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he's holding <laughs> half of the strong roster sitting on top of it because that is the <laughs> that is what the big teats can do. I love that man. I love that man. So get him in everything. 
Yes, agreed. If he's in World Tag League, Rich, we're doing it. <laughs>